0: have received God is good as he's not all the time not all the time
1: (laughs) one of the more interesting parts of the 21st century so far has been the continued rejection of organized religion Halfway through the 20th century, the percentage of Americans who identified as non-religious or atheists was close to 0%. In 2022, polling suggests it's about 1 in 3 Americans. And church attendance has dipped to historic lows. Of course, a lot of that has to do with some pretty big scandals over the last few decades. The Roman Catholic clergy have been hit with near-constant sexual abuse scandals that netted thousands of priests. No, not really, Robbie. Sounds low to me. My estimates suggest 6% act out sexually with minors. Uh, 6% of what? 6% of all priests. It also has to do with the power that the evangelical and Catholic churches have wielded over society as they got involved in politics. This, 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 this crusade, this war on terrorism. All of this has entered the cultural zeitgeist in some pretty striking ways. What is this? Thumb drive. Thumb drive?
2: The video is kept on that.
1: Oh, the video's on here? Cultural commentary about the weaponization of organized religion to exert power has flooded into the zeitgeist like levees breaking on a dam. It's also entered the realm of science fiction, and one of the most interesting examples is tonight's film, the 2010 neo-Western, The Book of Eli. Denzel Washington plays the titular Eli. Eli has chosen to wander the post-apocalyptic wasteland carrying a Bible. He walks westward, hoping that civilization still survives in the frontier. America has fallen to the disorganized and feral state after a nuclear war breaks out. The survivors blame religion as the cause of the war and have burned all of the Bibles. Eli believes that the King James Bible, which he found in a pile of rubble after an inner voice spoke to him, is the last one. It's the only one. Really?
2: After the war, people made it their business to find and destroy any that the fires didn't get already. Some people said this was the reason for the war in the first place.
1: course, he's not the only one who wants the Bible. Gary Ullman plays Carnegie, a rich town owner who believes the Bible holds the key to power as it will give his subjects motivation to keep working for him. Eli and Carnegie are engaged in the clash between spiritual faith and the corrupting power of organized religion. Why? Why do you want it? I grew up with it.
0: I know its power if you raided, then so do you. That's why they burned them all after the war.
1: In an excellent performance, Mila Kunis serves as the audience stand-in. She plays Solera, one of Carnegie's subjects, who follows Eli to get away from a violent and brutal town. Solera was born after The Flash, and does not remember what society was like before the apocalypse.
3: And you did all that because a voice in your head told you to?
2: Yes, I did. I know what I heard. I know what I hear. I know I'm not crazy.
1: One of the effects of the flash is that most people who weren't able to get to shelter are now blind. Tore a
2: hole in the sky. Sun came down and burned everything. Everything and everybody. You were lucky to hole up and hide in a place like this or underground. Most people weren't lucky
1: much like the priest Eli in the Bible, who grows blind. And blindness is constantly used as a metaphor for being spiritually lost.
0: Do you see the light? The man!
4: Do you see the light? What light? Have you seen the light? Yes! Yes!
0: Jesus H. God that. Christ. I have seen the light!
1: In this apocalyptic wasteland, Food is so scarce that most people have turned to cannibalism. We gotta
2: go now. They killed all these people. We don't just kill them. They ate them.
1: Her hands, her hands were shaking. Too much human meat.
3: Let's go. I found some meat.
1: Cannibalism gives the cannibals a distinctive hand trimmer. This is called Kuru, and it is a human form of mad cow disease.
3: Mm. It's amazing that you two have survived out here all by yourselves. Well now, George is something of a handyman. He did a lot of work on this place making it safe. We may be old, but we're resilient.
1: Over the last few years, American society has grown obsessed with cults. The cult leader is a well-worn trope in the current zeitgeist. I think the Book of Eli is a prescient examination of the duality of spiritual faith, and the ways in which faith and spirituality can be weaponized by those seeking power and domination.
2: Pray for me.
3: Okay,
1: I, I mean it. Anyway, before I introduce the panel, let me say, please like this video and subscribe to the Movie Night Extravaganza YouTube channel. Also, we are now monetized, so if you have any pressing questions during this live show, send us a super chat. We are absolutely obligated by international law, human rights law, to answer it. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash movie night extra. All of our after parties are available on there forever. Okay, let me introduce the panel. Janderworld, World, illustrator, book cover artist, comic designer, and artist forgive them an argument, co-host of Movie Night Extravaganza, and bad takes. Conan Neutron, co-host of Movie Night Extravaganza, host of Britonic Reversal, and frontman for Conan Neutron and the Secret Friends. Coney Neutron and the Secret Friends is done touring until December 30th, but you can find all their music at neutronfriends.bandcamp.com. Christina Oaks, when she's not dog-sitting, you can find her streaming on Twitch at twitch.tv. You can find her streaming on Twitch right now. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at @Cosmopolitics. Throw her some subs on Twitch. Gary Whitta is a BAFTA award-winning screenwriter and author, known for Rogue One, The Book of Eli, Star Wars Rebels, Batman Fortress and the Animal Crossing in-game show animal talking. I, of course, am your long-suffering host, Forrest Miller. Without further ado, let's get started.
5: Part of Christina Oaks will be played by this plush shark.
1: <laughs> I was going to say by Audrey. She's asleep on the couch behind me over there. Awesome. You know, right. Yeah.
5: Is that left shark? At- <laughs> it's it's left in which way you want it gary thanks so much for coming on the show man this is an honor thanks for thanks for having me
4: i'm happy to do it
5: yeah, uh, I, i'm excited because want... it's fi- finally we have a guest that my kids
6: are actually impressed with you know we get <laughs> wow. the, uh, guy okay. from Evo. you know not impressed we we got the guy from uh sloan not cure. impressed we, we get got we got yeah. cure
1: rossler not impressed
0: yeah
6: yeah and that, now we get the guy from animal talking and now they're impressed
4: I that's actually but uh, it's funny when I did animal talking a couple of years ago, at one point um, we had a guest on because I just he was a really interesting person. This guy called Tom Nichols, who's a um, professor at the U.S. Naval War College and one of the foremost experts uh, on Russia and you know, Soviet military and stuff like that. So he's very active on Twitter right now with everything that's obviously happening in, in Ukraine. Uh, but even prior to that in 2020, I just thought he was this really interesting You know, kind of academic person. Um, and I thought it'd be an interesting guest to book on animal talking. Yeah. We had all kinds of like, you know, show business celebs, but I thought let's have a professor yeah. on that could be a, an interesting chat. And he's a really cool guy. And he told me afterwards that, um, like if you ever watch like MSNBC or CNN, like he pops up there all the time, especially these days with the Russia stuff. Cause he's a real expert.
1: Yeah. I've heard, um, I've heard his name before. He's very, seen, very
4: smart yeah. guy. I mean, he literally wrote the book on, on nuclear war, like the book that us military officers study um At the War College, and just a very smart guy, very impressive uh, intellectual. And after he was on the show, he told me that Animal Talking was the first show that he'd ever been on that his kids were impressed by. Like they didn't care <laughs> when he was on like Morning Joe or Politics yeah, yeah. Nation or yeah. CNN <laughs> Tonight, but when he was on Animal Talking, his kids were like, right, "Wow, right. Dad, you're finally cool." So that's well, good unlike tonight. the
1: you know, unlike the lying mainstream media. Animal Talking. That's, right, li- that's, right, that that's real, right. That's right. That's right. We're not the mainstream
4: yeah. media. <laughs> yeah.
5: Scarborough don't care. Don Lemon. Couldn't possibly care any less. Animal talking, real stuff. Okay. Yeah, it's funny. I
4: particularly find it funny when people tell me that my their kids were impressed by something because, like, I'm a 50 year old, you know, <laughs> balding, <laughs> right, yeah. overweight, white guy. I don't I, the last I don't know if I'm like relevant to the kids anymore. But certainly, I mean, obviously, you know, the the work that I do potentially is you know Star Wars and Walking Dead and other things, like Batman things that I've been associated with uh, that are cool. But that's why I like kind of working behind the scenes is I can write things that you know. You, yep. th- th- if I, if they're cool enough, you might not ever know that they were written by someone who's tremendously uncool, like, personally. <laughs> but, but, I also, but I
1: also like the idea that Andy's kids aren't impressed by, you know, Rogue One, they're not impressed by anything with Batman, but it's like, oh, animal talking. Hell you yeah, never know. What, you know what's <laughs> going to
4: resonate with someone. I meet, I meet people <laughs> at conventions and things all the time, and, like, Rogue One is the most common one because obviously it's by far the biggest but every now and again someone will come up and say oh i really like that fucking obscure thing that you did like 20 years ago that i barely even remember so everyone has their own their own favorite things
5: yeah i mean it's 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 what it is and that's the nice thing about having such a wide and varied career and uh, and one of which is of course book of eli which we're discussing tonight uh underrated film of course this month wait this doing... isn't this isn't
1: an animal talking podcast <laughs>
5: animal talking an, an, talking about animal talking it's animal talking yeah talking yeah uh we've been doing apocalypse movies this month it's moving out apocalypse and it's for some reason we decided you know doomer december was the vibes that we were gonna be going for and this is the this is the second to last one second to last show of the season second to last uh episode of the year i think it's a great one and i it's it's awesome to me that uh it's the I first think, one
1: from the 2000s that we've done, too. I mean, yeah, we
5: were able to get into something that's not like like I think there's a definitely you could get just lost in the 70s a little bit <laughs> with, like, mm-hmm. with a lot of Capacos movies and things like that. And I like that we started off with A Boy and His Dog, which is in the film, in the background.
4: In, yeah, they got a uh, They got it. Yeah, that was Albert. He got a poster in there because he was a fan
5: what incredible production design
0: there that, that, I, that I, like, the I like i like the happy. idea that
1: that in this apocalypse right like culture has kind of been erased like the bible's been erased kind of from you know the cultural moment like people even can't read but like people still remember a boy and this
4: dog they're like yeah that's that movie with the,
1: yeah, you know. the talking dog i mean who knows what's going to
4: survive i remember at the at the premiere i got to meet malcolm mcdowell who obviously was a you know who's a, in this I, film and i, who, I forgot about i so forgot I, about it until i watched <laughs> it i'm
5: like oh yeah malcolm mcdowell i've is a, uh i've been
4: a yeah. huge fan of malcolm mcdowell like my whole life. And when I found out he was going to be in the movie, I was thrilled. And I wasn't there when they shot, because hes I think he only shot for like a day or two. I wasn't there, but I met him, met him at the premiere and I was like, you know what, I'm going to go say hello to him because this is my fucking movie. I can say hello to anyone I want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I went up and said, you know, hi Malcolm, just a big fan. Like I wrote the movie and, you know, I'm just really glad you're in it. And he, he was super nice to me. And obviously he plays the librarian at the end, right. In the big kind of like cultural archive that they build at Alcatraz and he was telling me he thought it was funny because you know they, they filled that set. Uh, you know, the, the, the set dresses and the prop people filled that set not just with books, but all kinds of, you know, artworks and other kinds of cultural artifacts. And yeah, it's I like don't the Library remember,
1: of Congress, kind of. <laughs> yeah,
4: it's just anything of value, you know, from the from the old world that's been found and books are the most are the most part of it, but like all kinds of other things as well, like even like weird things. And uh, I don't, I don't remember where it is or if it's even in like the final frame, but he was telling me I thought this was amusing. Like he was annoyed because when he was looking around the set, he noticed that one of the things that was on the wall was a uh, Manchester United football scarf. And he's a big Liverpool supporter. And he was <laughs> like, I'm not having that. He was like fucking Manchester United. They're like cockroaches. Even after the, even after the, the nuclear war, they survive. He was not happy about the Manchester United scarf. I thought that was funny.
1: That's how you know it's an American-made movie, though. Like they're not even right. thinking about, you know, which socket, like who, who they're gonna, you know, who's gonna get pissed. Off. Like they're definitely thinking about That's football right. teams. And if there was like a certain, you know, football jersey, they'd be like, "Oh, we don't want to isolate." I you mean, know, if I if I'd have been on set
4: that day, I would have insisted on a Tottenham Hotspur scarf. But you know, like I said, I wasn't there, and as the writer, I have very little authority. So <laughs> Manchester United is the one that they went with. But yeah, I know Malcolm wasn't wasn't thrilled about it. He's like, "Get that shit down." If you're a Liverpool fan, you don't want to see that. <laughs> What an
5: amazing thing to focus on, but I I love that. But but it's also like
4: you got to remember, though
1: he's only on that one set too. You know what I mean? Like he's he's not at the uh, at the Puma store. You know that they turned into a a a town a town square or like you know the strip mall. He's not at uh he's not in the you know the quarries where you know they also have you know maybe that's where the Liverpool uh scarf probably. I mean probably like like, if I could have picked any
4: set to be on, it might have been that one because it's probably the most interesting set in terms of how it was dressed. You know, it is the kind of thing where, like, prop masters and set de- and set design people just go crazy. They're like, "Oh, we can put in all these little kind of details and knickknacks. Because it really is, like, this kind of vast, you know, almost like an antique store, you know, of all these kind yeah. of found treasures. I yeah, mean, they, and they
1: managed to do that in the town, too, though. Like, uh, I, I noticed that there's, like, still, like, logos on all the stores. Like, there's, like, these little, uh, there's all these little, like, details when they walk through the place. Like, people are selling things. Like, I noticed that the town itself... um, you know that uh that carnegie like his his whole town like kind of has like a lot of really cool parts to it moving yeah i mean the, the
4: the production design on the on the movie across across the board is is really stunning in the whole visual look of it i think part of the challenge in going into making a a, a post-apocalyptic apocalyptic film which is like largely set in the desert and after a nuclear war is like we've seen films like that before and they all tend to look largely the same you know they're all kind of like very yeah. beige and brown and um, you know, like Mad Max kind of set the template for it. And I I know from the beginning when I was writing it that I didn't want it to look just like a Mad Max movie where everyone yeah. is, you know, kind of obsessed with like how cool they look. I used to watch like Mad Max. And I'm like, like, who's doing that guy's mohawk? Like, where does he go? <laughs> yeah, like, where does done. he get the gel, right? Right, exactly. it's like, it's it, it, you're dressed to look cool rather than dressed to survive. And so like, it, it, was, it was one note that I had uh, early on was like can we please can this please look more like threads than mad max like i wanted it to look more grounded yeah. um like you are like it's just like it's just weird stuff like people just great the, the idea that people just are wearing whatever they can find rather than what would look good on camera you'll notice in that fight under the bridge at the beginning in the tunnel when he fights the guy like the one of the guys is just wearing like a bathrobe you know it's just like <laughs> whatever they have like this does not look yeah. good but yeah. you know you yeah. don't you know, when you're when you're scra- scavenging for for scavenging for, you know, things to wear, you're not going to be terribly compared with, you know, or, or concerned with, uh, you know, the aesthetic. It's all well, that- when Eli's yeah, I mean, the, for- the,
1: uh, the state institution, you know, bathrobe, like uh, the ones that they, you know, give to people in like uh, mental hospitals and stuff like I'm sure those are I'm sure those are apocalypse ready bathrobes.
4: Yeah, and there's yeah, always sure. and yeah, there's always there's always compromises. Like the reality is, it would look much much grimmer even than the film does. You know, you're trying to find a happy yeah. balance between what look what does look cool and and what feels like a, like a real lived in world. I remember Mila had this whole thing where she wanted her character to have really fucked up teeth. She was like, "Why do I have great like who, like who's doing again? Like, who who are <laughs> yeah. the dentists? In what this dentist world? is like, in this? People town. would have, exactly, people would yeah. have really fucked up teeth, and I want to have yeah. I, I want to have fucked up teeth, but the producers were like, "Look, you're not." We're not doing that. You're Mila Kunis. We're not going to make you look horrible. Right, um, right. But that was Denzel's thing as well. Like, he didn't want, like, the whole thing with with Eli was, again, if you go look, back, go look back at the script, like, it's never written with a specific actor in mind, but, like, it's he's meant to look like an unassuming character. Like, he's not meant to look like yeah. someone. Like, this was never going to be a role written for, like, a typical, like, big muscle-bound action star where we, we really wanted someone that just looked like an everyman. Um, which is more but,
5: impressive when he does these like crazy action things. Like, well, yeah. because that, like, that, So that's the idea is like, because
4: what he's doing is not natural. It's not from within him. Like he's literally yeah. being yeah. used as an instrument. Um, Wait, which is the
5: um, first time I watched it. I didn't quite, I quite get that until the end, but then it's, it's like completely apparent. Like then it's like, oh yeah. yeah like, so, I mean,
4: is, it's it, it, obviously for, yeah. for obvious reasons, it's one of those movies that benefits from watching it through a second time. Once you know, like what yeah. the deal is. But it's been one of the, um, like to this day, I still get emails and, and and tweets from people saying like, "Can you settle an argument? Is he blind or not?" And I'm like, "Man, maybe we didn't make this fucking clear enough because, like, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, he is." And and like that, that, that y'all need like to whole- watch some
6: Zatiochi films, man. <laughs>
4: Like the whole the whole point at the end of the movie is like when you realize that he's blind, it's it's meant to be like, oh, it's not meant to be like, oh, we tricked you. It's meant to be like, this is the point of the movie is that once you realize that he's blind, it's a whole, yeah. it's basically an affirmation of the faith that he's had the whole film through. Like basically as difficult as it would have been for him to do all of the things that he's done over the past 30 years and during the events of the movie, even if he had all of his faculties and was like a highly trained fucking Navy seal or whatever bullshit we could have done alternatively. (laughs) Like once you realize that he's blind and you reevaluate everything that he did, it becomes completely impossible unless you subscribe to the notion that there is some kind of divine intervention that is guiding his hand and, and telling him where to go. And there's so many Again, I did a whole walkthrough of it on on Twitch a couple of years ago, where um, like we went through every it's single like the lighter,
5: clue. like the lighter where he like puts his hand over it to make sure that it yeah, actually there's a ignited. lot, there's
4: there's like, a lot of it in the scripts. A lot of it got added afterwards, uh, but basically, yeah, the idea is that when you go through and watch the movie again, knowing that he's blind, you will see that every single thing that you think he sees he actually perceives in some other way. He touches it or smells yeah. it or hears it or becomes aware of it in some other way. Even in that shootout in the street that you showed a clip of earlier, you'll notice that he doesn't shoot anyone until they shoot at him first because he echolocates each shot and fires back in the direction that it came from. And again, you can't realistically, no, no one could do that. Like he's shooting people from like 200 yards away with a nine <laughs> millimeter pistol. And you think, okay, maybe he's just a crack shot. But no, I mean, he again, the idea is, is that he's not even really doing that. Um, It's it's this idea that, you know, by 30 years in, he's very um, practiced at it. But I would imagine that, like, if you go back like 30 years ago, when he first had to defend himself and, you know, like slaughtered eight people that he's probably thinking, like, what the fuck? How did I just do that? He doesn't even know. Like yeah. it really kind of a
5: mystery it's, to him as well. It
4: really it's is like, kind of yeah. like a Jesus take the wheel moment every time he gets into a fight, right?
1: There's a <laughs> moment that stuck out to me watching it again where, uh, you know, the other uh, Solera's mom comes in. Um, oh, I forget her name, but Claudia's mom, and she's like, Hey, I need you to uh, make a noise or like something so I can find yeah. you. Yeah, and it almost yeah, yeah. feels like he's being a dick in the moment when you don't know that you know what I mean. He's gonna turn out to be blind. That's and the, the then, thing, he, it, does, it, he
4: doesn't know that she's blind until she tells him. There's all kinds of little things. That, that are like that there's there's another moment you'll notice if you go back and watch the scene where Carnegie and um and Eli really interact for the first time when he's kind of standing at his desk there is a scene and this is this was all Denzel like a lot was in the scripts a, a lot wasn't um Carnegie's kind of like standing in front of him and talking and then he kind of like moves behind him and then when he talks again it's only at that point that Denzel kind of turns around and goes oh you're behind me now like he doesn't know until he gets like a, a way to kind of again to echo locate him so and, and these yep. are things that on a first viewing there's nothing weird about it like you don't think like denzel does it in a way that is so uh subtle but it's an interesting movie to watch a second time to go oh shit like yeah he touched that or you know he smelled that um you know there's there's a million little gags in there that um i was really pleased with in terms of hiding the reveal but which seem as, as somebody told me once like a really good twist should be like really impossible to spot until you see it but then once you've seen it It's like, how did I miss that? It's like the only, it's the only possible explanation. Usual
5: Suspects is a great example of that, right? At the end, you're like, oh, of course. But when you're first watching, you're like, oh, whoa, crazy. Anyway, go ahead for it. And it also like it things also things adds a whole different
1: other different, dimension, way. I think, to the whole iPod thing, which is like, you know, he's so dependent on his iPod. And you know, all of your senses are so heightened when you're when you're missing any one of your senses, You know what I mean? Like the rest of them kind of kick into high gear. And so that uh that release from you know the daily grind of actually having to echolocate everything and like hearing all the noise and actually being able to like listen to something sonically through, you know, and Yeah. And,
4: and, I always like the idea of the iPod. I mean, it again, demonstrates just like how sound how important like what an important part like sound plays in his world doesn't have pictures that he can look through yeah. the only way that he can really kind of remember the old world and kind of you know disappear you know into into memory is through music and sound and it's this idea that you know that the, the whole catalyst kind of the whole like the whole reason why the movie happens is because his ipad uh, ipod runs out of battery like which you think you think <laughs> you think of it as a trivial thing but like in that world where it's like one of the only things that's kind of keeping him you know tethered to to sanity and and, uh, and 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 a, and a sense of himself, um, he's actually going to do what he would usually never do, which is like usually would bypass that town, but he's going to go into town because he really cannot do without that iPod.
5: And I love that one of the things that I think is really cool and special in this movie. And again, when we made the choice of movies to cover, we actually skipped doing any Mad Max. We covered Fury Road, which is my favorite Mad Max, with Kira, who was uh, I mean, she won an, her team won an Oscar for the for the ADR work and. How are we going to do any better than that? But what I like about it is you see like mundane moments like the barter system, like the barter, mm-hmm. like when he's trade like trading Tom Waits for you know the KFC wipes, that would be yeah. very handy in the apocalypse. And it you almost know?
4: feels it almost feels Some, improbable. Somebody that after thirty that. years. They would have been dried out even if they remained sealed up. But again, it's one of those little details that you don't really hmm. care about. I just always like the They're idea that those, those, that those <laughs> wipes. Like the in the in the future, like odd things would have currency. Things that shampoo,
5: shampoo. Yeah. So like when he and when he talked earlier about oh, like you know the dude in the bathroom, like the marauder in the, in the, in the bathrobe. Um, like when he is trying to get the water and he like trades the gloves. Gloves would be like so important in that society. Yeah, like, we're gonna do the, go to you know, Home Depot. One of the no. one
4: of the little messages of messages of the movie is you know things that that, that have value in our current world suddenly have none and things that you think of as like disposable and throwaway suddenly become the most valuable objects in the world
5: and I, and I love that this this shows that piece of it which is very much which is funny because it's almost like you know Legend of Zelda or something like, like a video game or something along those lines but I like the shopkeeper and and, and whatnot but uh, I find it so compelling because so many movies and so many times of media skip right past that they don't show those those moments and the fact like yeah what like you know you're not going to pull out a $20 bill right I mean, like, come on! Like, how, like, how are you gonna exchange uh, for the things you need? And, yeah, I mean, and it, ca- makes, ca- me, ca- it makes me cash goes away
4: completely. Yeah. So it just be- it does just become kind of like a barter yeah. system. I think like water is considered like the most fungible currency in in that particular world. Like every everyone any any time you do post apocalyptic world building, like you have to come up with some basic sense of like currency or yep. in a you know in the chain well, whatever important. it might be. And and you know in in Eli, obviously, it's it's water is you know I mean like in any you know, it's the, it's the one completely indispensable thing, right? No, every living thing contains it. No life can exist without it. It's like the most basic non-negotiable, you know, human need.
1: How much did your, uh, work in like video game design and writing and stuff? Well, not design, but like the writing part of it, um, play into this because it does really feel like a lived in world. And I think you did a really good job putting that together in the sense of like, you know, detail, like little details, that like you definitely see in something like a video game, but you might not, uh, you might just blow right over in a in a, in a movie um, or like that.
4: Pro- probably not as much as you might think. Like people, are, 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 I think have read stuff into that in the past. Knowing my background, I got like you know after Eli kills people, he kind of like loots their bodies. Oh, he's looting the bodies like in a video game. It's like yeah, but it's also just what you would do. <laughs> like you clear, exactly. It's not just a video game thing.
5: That's a- <laughs> yeah. um, I was doing that, that earlier. Uh, it's just a like cost- method of survival, the common sense thing. Yeah. <laughs> These guys
4: might have some shit on them uh, that I can use, and he does. You know, he gets a couple of things from yeah. it, and like you said, he passes his hand over the flame of the lighter to. So that, again, I, I at some point there should be like I don't think there's ever been like a complete accounting of like every single Easter egg that's in the film in terms of you know giving away his blindness, but there there were a lot in the in the in the script that I was really pleased with, and and again the 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 filmmakers and Denzel in particular came up with a lot of really good stuff as well that was like just you know found in performance.
1: When he uh when, when Denzel uh grabs the guy's head and slams it into the bar, the guy that talks about the cat. I think that that's a really yeah Cheddar Bob, he's uh he's he's very tact like uh tactical about that I guess right like he's he he feels it was, and he's like he like makes sure he's there and mm-hmm. then slams his head so that's like another moment that I yeah think that,
4: and like, like a big and, and again we we worked with Denzel with this you know for a long time I was there when he was like doing all his like you know fight practice and we were talking about like his physicality and stuff like that and again it was always there from the script the idea that he's physically kind of unassuming um, Denzel lost a lot of weight to play him. Yeah, he lost um, like
1: 70 pounds right yeah That's because like, again in that
4: world you're not going to be carrying any excess weight and so he did he, he, i remember he would drink these kind of uh cayenne pepper lime juice tea drinks that were like part of a <laughs> kind of diet regimen uh that he was on because he was he really was trying to cut weight to get to get down to where he wanted to be um and uh yeah we t- we just t- it's a like like very little mood like he doesn't move a whole lot he doesn't raise his voice Uh, he's not very kind of demonstratively. He is just kind of quite unassuming. And again, it was very, you know, in many ways, he was based on those kind of wandering nomad, you know, uh, you know, whether it be the man with no name or Satoichi or, you know, kind of Obi-Wan Kenobi, these kind of characters that just kind of keep themselves to themselves, not looking for any trouble. And maybe not, maybe don't look like someone who could cause you a lot of trouble. But if you push them too far, like in two seconds, you're going to have a fucking bad day. And that was the idea with 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 Eli. Like he's, you know, again that that interaction with with the, the guy at the bar. Like he's completely polite and completely, um, you know, just got his head down. Like just, like, I don't want any trouble. I don't want any trouble. And when it becomes clear that the guy isn't going to like back off, yeah, he he fucking puts his head yeah. in the in the bar. Yeah. So,
1: um, so I have a clip of uh, Denzel talking about uh, the preparation that he put into into this with some very some very uh, friendly woman that was doing the the press junkets for all of these. But um, yeah, this is not our
5: girl, Bobby, though.
1: No, no. And, and oh. she 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 did it. She did it well. But it was like she was like, oh, like she asked about seen, going commando at one point. I haven't like, seen
4: any of these clips and probably may, maybe forever. I don't know if I've seen these.
3: Nice. Let's roll it. Well, well take me through, though, the the weapons. Train. Right, lost the well, yeah, I mean, just a lot me. of lettuce.
2: No, I was eating whatever I wanted yeah. because I was working out so much.
3: But take me through the weapons training, because that's not easy. Come on.
2: Yeah, no, it was, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. It, was, it wasn't difficult. Uh, Jeff Amata, who's the stunt coordinator, who's a brilliant martial artist, who's a disciple of Danny Inosanto. Danny Inosanto was a contemporary and a close friend. Of, uh, he, he grew up with, uh, with Bruce Lee. So I was working with some of the best martial artists in the world. And they made it very easy for me, and and walked me through the process, and 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 I really got into the Zen kind of vibe of it all, and I enjoyed it. And I read the script; I knew I was going to win, so <laughs> you know. So
3: what was the hardest? There's archery. There's the guns. There's the knives. Um,
2: uh, you know, I I I, 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 I I've been. Doing movies a long time, so I I I don't know. No, I've never done any archery, I guess, before in a movie, but you know, but I was a Boy Scout. <laughs> you know, you pick up on it and you practice. You know, that's what's fun. Yeah. All of those things help to to get you more into your character. Those are practical things that you have to learn to do, and 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 you know, you want to look like you know what you're doing, so you you practice a lot.
3: Did you go to Sunday school as a kid?
2: <laughs> My father was a minister. Pentecostal Church of God in Christ for fifty years. So I went to everything Sunday school, uh morning service, afternoon service, evening service. Mm-hmm.
3: So those Bible uh classes, your dad, it all came in handy, I think. Did it did it bring back no, memories? I wasn't listening then.
2: <laughs> back then I didn't want to go.
3: But you know, it must have after reading this and, and just really delving into this topic and this, it had to have really hit home for you, my friend.
2: Well, it, I mean, it was a part of the reason I wanted to do it you know, and, and a lot of it was already on the page. I mean, it wasn't like we, w- w- what we did basically was to go back to Gary's original script, which was, you know, and we made sure we had certain quotes, right. And, and, and things like that, but we actually pared away a lot of what I had to say. It was a lot of, he he talked a lot uh, in, in some of the original scripts. And then even in, in the process of the scripts, I think uh, Warner Brothers got nervous about too much spirituality and, and uh, it, it wasn't about anything. Yeah. It became just an action movie, which was not very interesting to me. So uh, we, we sort of went back and, and did what we wanted to do.
3: Does working on something like this make you think more about what we take for granted in life?
2: Um, I mean, that's what he talks about. And yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, I thought about that anyway. I, I think about it in my own life. And um,
3: yeah. <laughs> so, did it make the working conditions any better to get through them? I mean, dust storms and and working in New Mexico and crazy, crazy conditions. Yeah, but we're
2: making yeah, but we're making a movie. I mean, it's not that bad. I mean, you got people that have real hard jobs working in coal mines or whatever. We're just out there shooting a movie. We could go inside our trailers if we wanted to.
5: Yeah, it beats digging ditches, right? <laughs> that's, that's sort of like it's at the end of the day. You're making a movie. It's,
1: it's, it, uh, it beats actually wandering around the desert with a Bible. I mean, <laughs>
5: it does actually doing it. Uh, Andy I know you wanted to kind of get into some of the some of the some of the samurai stuff and hes him talking about the martial arts is probably a pretty good jumping on yeah
6: yeah because uh one of my favorite things about this is uh the fact that that Denzel um is almost bored doing the martial arts in the scene like, like almost like uh when neo becomes the one you know he's like uh, almost yawning and like taking on agent Smith with one hand but but it's not quite as uh, as exaggerated as that but there's a uh there's like a uh, almost like well-practiced thing uh you know to 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 his movements uh that that's um that, that that makes it look wholly unique i mean like like you know you um i've been trying to i've been trying to phrase this one for uh for all week trying to figure out how to like figure out how to how, how to word this but put um, him on the
1: spot <laughs> <laughs> well
5: it's the divine well, ass kicking isn't it i mean
0: yeah <laughs> like really <laughs>
6: uh which i thought was fantastic but but i also love that that i immediately the first time i watched it i recognized zaki Ochi, i recognized yajimbo uh all the, all that kind of coming through. So uh, I, I just didn't know if you wanted to uh, touch on uh, some of those influences uh, that, that I've uh, picked up in the in the film.
5: Yeah, how how much was that what was in the script? Because I mean, like it's hard to write fight scenes, but like um, I think you can so, do so, it. So right? I mean,
4: so far as fight scenes are concerned, I I those were written very very sparingly. Because I just knew that at some point a really good fight coordinator, uh, yeah, you would, the fight would, would come along and, yeah. and figure it all out. So it wasn't like, oh, yeah. he blocks this shot and then he cuts <laughs> off the chainsaw guy's arm. It was like, yeah. it, I, th- I think, I think in that, like,
1: kicks ass, and then you're like, like I think in ass.
4: the um, yeah, because someone that's not your job, someone unless unless there's a, like a character based reason for something specific to happen in an action scene. There's no point choreograph; it's boring to read, and someone's going to come along and change it all anyway. Um, so like, for example, in that first fight under the, the, you know, the highway tunnel, um, I think it literally just says like, it says something like what happens next is like so fast, you almost don't register it. But like within a couple of seconds, everyone is on the floor fucking dead. And like, and like, he's just so fast, you can barely see him move. And it was just that. And like, and, and so a filmmaker can look at that and go, oh, I can do, I can have fun with this. Like, and then they go and work it out. And I, again, I remember being um, on the soundstage when, when Denzel was, was up there with Jeff Amada and like seven or eight, you know, stunt guys going through all of those moves and working it out, you know, one, one move at a time. And again, that's that's how you come up with that amazing choreography, not me doing it. Um, like I said, it's just like, this is going to be an incredible fight scene right here. I think, and, and the, the big one in the bar, you know, that has the camera on the track going yeah. around was just, you know, like the, the, the one thing that they actually really surprisingly kept to the degree that I thought they would, is the movie was always written to be like really extremely violent, like heads coming off and, you know, yeah, and, I, like, I, ju-
3: <laughs> and yes. like, you'll,
4: you'll, again, you go back, you go back and watch that one, um uh, like 360 camera, um, uh, I think I think he cuts off like four or five people's hair. Like you see the fucking heads come off uh, in one shot, which is like, man, they really kept all of this. I remember the first day I showed up on that set, they literally had buckets full of blood. Did you, you know, assume someone was gonna get cut out? Literal so buckets of blood. It was it yeah. was crazy, and it was Greg Nicotero. Who did all? Who did you know all the all the kind of the blood and gore effects for uh, The Walking Dead was was our wow, blood cool. and guts guy as well. And so like it was it was very very liberal. But you know, and in, in in answer to your earlier question, the movie the movie in terms of influences, the movie had very very pulpy roots uh, early on. I just wanted to do a I wanted to do a samurai movie. I wanted to do a Man with No Name movie. I wanted to do like a, yeah. a, a, a Obi Wan Kenobi kind of thing, like the classic kind of tradition both both in eastern and western cinema of the kind of the stoic you know wandering nomadic hero right whether it be mama no name whether it be you know uh Yujimbo, whatever i just wanted to do one of those kind of guys and i didn't, wasn't quite sure like what i wanted to do with the story but i knew I, I knew i wanted that vibe and that's again that's not necessarily and there's not necessarily any like nutritional value to that yet so i just want to do a movie about kind of a wandering badass. <laughs> um like a like a like there's a, a registry
5: of it. Why I not?
4: want to do my yeah. my take on a on a samurai movie and um uh I kind of knocked that around for a while, and it was only when the idea of the Bible and bringing kind of the religion and the spirituality that I felt like the movie actually had some, you know, at that point there was a reason to write it. Like there's no there's got, there's got right. to be a there's gotta be a thematic under underlying like this is what the movie's about, to, like thematically. This is what the movie has to say. And if you don't have that, you don't have anything worth writing yet. And so it wasn't until I came up with the idea okay, it's the last Bible they've all been destroyed. this thing has value. Um, and again, it's like it's a MacGuffin but it's not it's not a MacGuffin that you typically would assign and you know it's not it's not worth money. it's not made out of gold or whatever but we're, we're living in a world like we said earlier where it's completely you know, you'd, you'd be surprised by what what has value and what doesn't. And in this world there are very specific reasons why certain people think that for different look at carnegie
5: carnegie wants it to, to control people which as he has a long rich history of religion being. yeah true. i
4: mean it was i always, you know? always tried to kind of have like an agnostic view of it like the movie's not i remember when I first gave the, the first draft of the script to my agents and they were like oh i didn't know you were a christian i'm like i'm not i'm a i'm, I'm an atheist <laughs> um i could <laughs> i i don't have i could write a movie about vampires i don't have to fucking believe in them you know, this, this, is, this is, you know, this is all UFOs. I don't have to believe in UFOs to yeah. write a movie about them, but yeah, in the, as I've said many, many times in the fictional world of this movie, God absolutely exists and is real. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I've said before, I think that's the only, that's, that's the official version. And to me, it's the only logical conclusion that you can reach if you paid attention uh, to everything um and so yeah there is there is this and uh, to to your point earlier about how like he almost seems kind of disengaged when he's fighting i i believe that's the case again i i honestly think he just kind of like again 30 years in he's so practiced at this and he's never lost a fight in 30 years against like god knows whatever at this point he's like you know what i I, god's got this like he just like it it just because he just switches off right okay take over He's like, he's like, I'm gonna listen
1: to some music. Ah, oh, fuck my iPod. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how so? So much
5: like yourself, Gary. Uh, uh, as a coming from comics, Andy is a comic artist as well and does comics. Incredible visual look to this, like a very unique yeah. aesthetic. How early on was that in uh, for the in the discussion so Alan Ellen
4: and a... Albert Alan and Albert did what's called a lookbook, which is kind of you know their little kind of visual brochure of what they think the film should look like. the way that Alan and Albert uh, Hughes work together, or at least you know because they they don't necessarily make films together anymore. It's like Elaine that was the last thing they collaborated on um uh, is alan typically is more kind of the guy that works with you on the script and the performance and the acting and that kind of stuff and albert's the visual guy he frames you know frames up the shots and decides you know what the what the aesthetic of the film yes. is going to be and albert all along really likes the idea of uh this almost being like a graphic novel you know come to life like not quite as stylized as like a zack snyder you know 300 kind of thing but they wanted it to have this um you know, he wanted it to have a really, really stylized look. When I first saw the finished film, I was shocked at how much color they pulled out. Like, the, the, until the very, very end, when the idea is as they get closer to San Francisco, color starts to kind of return to the world as, like, hope starts to return. You know, it's the last five minutes of the movie are actually way more colorful than anything else because they start yeah. to fade the color back up. But for, like, 95% of the film, it's, it's practically a black and white film. It's really, really heavily, heavily desaturated struggling to think of another film like made in the modern era that like is, is that desaturated um I mean, you have
5: to go to like sin city or something really well, i mean like you just, have to go that all point, the it's way just a
4: black and white film yeah it's a black
5: and white film that has an occasional splash of color to go any harder than that so I mean.
4: it's very desaturated um and there's and another then, another it,
1: uh, desaturated film that kind of reminds me of that part of it like in when as they hit san francisco is uh the end of children of men when they're in the the boat. Oh, sure. And yeah, yeah like, that's, that's
4: that's that's yeah. another that's another again too, another bleak film where it's just not appropriate to have a lot of color in the frame. Um but yeah, it was and, and and it also has a very it has it does have a very kind of modern kind of digital look to it. It was actually the first or one of the very first films that was shot completely digitally on the old Red 1 4K camera uh back in back yeah. in the day like everyone shoots digitally now but back in the day um digital photography was still not the norm and that was actually a fight that albert had to have with the producers to let let them uh, for them to let him shoot it digitally because it was untested at that point and they didn't want like well what if this just looks like a home movie no it, you know obviously we know now that digital movies can look really good um and that, and just like weird stuff like there's a lot of digital sky replacements in the film i don't think there's very few skies in the movie that are actually the sky mm. that was shot on the day they went in and replaced them all digitally and I remember saying to Albert, like, why Why are we doing, de- like, the sky is just the sky. Why are we doing these digital skies? And this will give you an example of, like, the level of granular detail that they went to, because this even blew my mind when I found it out. And it's something you'd never notice. You would never notice. So this is, like, why even bother? Like, you'd never even notice, like, unless someone tells you. But, like, you will, you will notice now that I've told you to go back and watch this. Every time you see Eli walking in a particular direction, the clouds are always moving in the same direction as he is because that's oh, the whoa. thing like it's no, like there it's, cool. he's, he's like a force of nature that's so yeah just
6: just just
4: just just <laughs> little <laughs> just little things like that if he's walking west the clouds are moving west um like the clouds are always moving with him there's just a sense of like this kind of almost like a kind of predestination like everything is like he's kind of moving with yeah this kind of you know unstoppable tide that's moving west and um, and, you know, God's up there in the clouds, you know, kind of looking down favorably, you know, on all of this. So, uh, yeah, there was, there was a million little things like that. Again, the, 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 um, the tunnel that you showed earlier that has the sign at the top, that says the clearance kind of 14 feet, six inches. That is a re that is a uh, reference to chapter 14, verse six of one verse in the Bible that I can't remember right now, but there's like a million little things like that in the movie.
1: Yeah, one of the ones one of the ones that I really love uh, is that the, the psalm that he recites is the 23rd psalm. Um, like, right. yea though I walk down the valley in the shadow of death, I will uh, fear no anger. That's the that's the um, my grandpa. That was his favorite psalm, like to the point where. Uh, yeah, at his, at his funeral, the one like direction he had was like, can, can you guys read this uh, read this psalm for yeah. for the for the church or whatever?
4: As uh, as Denzel mentioned, there was originally a lot more. But, but, but Eli was more verbose in the earlier versions of the script, and he quoted the Bible a lot more. Um, and again, Warner Brothers got a bit nervous about how religious the movie was, so we toned a lot of it back. We overdid it, so I had to come back in and put. A, and Denzel was like, <laughs> put a, it, a "This movie's not interesting anymore." <laughs> so we went back and put a lot of that stuff back in. Uh, yeah. But I, I I I remember like going through a, a reference copy of the Bible that I had, like trying to find like less obvious bible quotes yeah, one, yeah not the ones that
5: everybody knows but it's yeah really not the ones that because anyone
4: yeah. can do that but like you yeah. know i my, my, i mean my personal favorite one that gets quoted to me a lot is right before the bar fight when he's like you know cursed be the ground you know thorns and thistles shall it sprout for you um for um uh, for dust we are into dust we shall return i thought was like really really cool like I, you wanted stuff that has that kind of ezekiel 25 17 kind of quality to yeah, it, but, it but again isn't but a Bible verse because, you've, heard, you've yeah. heard a million times before because he's carrying the whole book in his head so he can like pull any yeah he's, he's obviously he knows
5: them yeah, right, yeah he
4: knows exactly. them the 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 psalm 23 obviously you like specifically i thought that's the one time i can do like a greatest hit because like solara specifically yeah. asks him to read her something so of course he's going to pick something that you know is particularly you know res- resonant or meaningful but um you know like yeah it, but it, i feel it, like
1: that i feel like that one doesn't get referenced as much as like it's a little bit underrated as far as uh what the
4: lord is my shepherd
1: yeah i mean i don't know it doesn't I, get I, I think that one's as, like
4: pretty popular
1: it no it's pretty yeah. popular but like i don't feel like it gets referenced as much as like it could you know what i mean like like if if i was gonna pull one thing out of the bible like i probably would pull, pull something out of like genesis or something like i wouldn't I don't know. Like I, I, that, that isn't necessarily where my, where my brain would go.
4: Yeah. And it's obviously, it was a combination of trying to find quotes that kind of sounded cool, but also were appropriate uh, to the moment. Like the final, the final speech, you know, again, that's all like the last couple of pages of his dialogue are all, just it's all just from the Bible, but it was a piece that I found that, um, well, actually not all of it, but a lot of it is kind of interspersed in, but like, you know, it was, I was trying to, I really, I knew that I really wanted to end on a Bible verse and it took a that would get i'm always i'm really really obsessed with like what's i i personally believe that like 90 of the way you feel about a movie gets decided in the last five minutes of the film like do you stick the landing or not yeah and so i really really wanted the very like whether it be a book or a movie everything i do is i really want the last word to have like to leave you with something you know how sometimes that when you finish a really good book and you just stare at the last line because it's just like yeah. oh man like what a fucking great and like that's like because it's over and like you want to kind of like luxuriate in in, in whatever that final moment is. That um, I really wanted the the film to kind of have that because I knew it was going to be a powerful ending, you know, because he dies and, you know, there's a big twist and you under, the whole kind of movie is kind of recontextualized. Um, and I just wanted that final piece to have some, you know, to, to go back to what this was all about, which was, you know, what they were trying to protect.
5: And why? And again, because get, getting back to the whole idea of it, you know, being the Bible and that being like the big turn, like, you know, Carnegie wants to use it to like use it in like the worst applications of religion possible as a, as a means of locus of controlling people and the consolidation Yeah, power.
4: And that's and again, that goes back to the point. It's like it's really interesting. The movie is very, very divisive. The movie is kind of like split 50 50 on Rotten Tomatoes, which is kind of what I expected in, in to, to some large degree, because any piece of art you take from it, what you bring to it. And yeah. no one goes to a no one goes into any kind of discussion or movie or book about religion or politics without bringing something of themselves to it. Everyone has an opinion on religion one way or another. Everyone has a political yes. point of view. So you know, whatever you read or whatever your whatever you you know, see in a piece of art is going to be filtered through that lens. Which is why no two people you know you know look at the same piece of art and think exactly the same way because no two people are the same. Um, and you know there were people that like there are there are Christians and people of faith who really fucking love this movie because it speaks to <laughs> yeah. them in a certain way. There are also um, you know people who are very kind of anti-religion who hate it because they think it's a religious tract. But there are also people that hate religion and like it because they recognise that it actually has quite a, quite a, quite a lot of shit to say about religion and how it's really it can be really bad. But the whole point was I was just really trying to kind of have it be as neutral and agnostic as possible. Like the, like for me, the absolute bare message of the movie, so far as the religious side of it is concerned is personal faith, good organized religion, bad. And that is, um, largely demonstrated by, you know, Eli and Carnegie are meant to be kind of the avatars of those two points of view. Like Eli, you'll notice he doesn't proselytize. He doesn't say, oh, have you heard the good word today? Like he literally hides the book from people. He doesn't want doesn't you to know it. the good he, word. He doesn't, yeah. want, you, he doesn't <laughs> want you to know that he has it. It's something that he protects and keeps only for himself. Whereas Carnegie, who's not, I don't believe he's a religious believer at all, but, ne- but nonetheless recognizes the power that it has over yeah. people. Yeah. I mean, um, he definitely doesn't believe
1: that there's a, a God of it. Like he doesn't, or that he doesn't seem to believe that there's a God of any kind. No, he's, I don't think he, I yeah. don't think
4: he, be, I don't think he believes that there's a, there's a God. I think he just believes in, in, in the power that, you know, that these words have to, to motivate people and um to get you know, the economy
1: back up and running after I'm, that, I'm,
4: know. I'm personally <laughs> terribly, um, uh, envious of people that have like personal faith because it, it's an incredible it must strength. be great it's an incredible <laughs> yeah reservoir of of, of of strength to be able to draw on i don't yeah. think it's a mistake that or i don't think it's a coincidence that people often find religion after you know a tragedy or they go to prison or whatever because you're dead like nobody wants to believe that our lives have no meaning something terrible happens to you like part of our, our brains desperately need to believe that there was a reason for it that it had some meaning i think that's why god fills in a lot of those gaps oh you know there's this this all happened for a reason and That kind of, it's a a kind of comforting mechanism um, for us. And I wish I could believe in it, but, you know, I I, I don't. I'm very much a rationalist. Um, But uh, I'm envious of people that do have that and carry it with them quietly but and, I also, and have, the, I also the apocalypse have but... part of,
1: of things like when people are actually like suffering in mass i feel like and you ask them to do something in mass like it like the the idea that you know with religion stripped away in in a situation where you know like everybody's kind of radiated and half of them are fucking cannibals and like, well and, and, and again yeah. like
4: so everyone's hurting right everyone's searching for meaning like like terrible shits happened to everyone in this world and so that bible and again carnegie recognizes that um he you know he can motivate people with it because they're desperate for meaning they're de- desperate for answers and he knows that this book is a very uh compelling you know document in that in that regard but no i have i have nothing but contempt for the people that Carnegie is based on which are like the big mega church televangelists and people that you know they don't believe yeah. this shit they just know that yeah. there's money in it i remember there's utility,
5: there's utility i remember
4: yes. i remember when like when the movie first came out i remember glenn beck like tweeted something about it like he loved it and i <laughs> I wrote back mm-hmm. to him and said, Do you not understand that you're the fucking villain in this movie? I, I, think they, <laughs> I don't know if you've understood it. And then like, more recently, Eli became like almost like a MAGA icon because he was like this lone, like Trump lone warrior. Like Eli was this, like, Trump, this holy warrior. And I couldn't help well, he myself. Well, he's trying
1: to make America great again. I, I, guess, I, I, I couldn't help myself. But every
4: time some MAGA fuck was like, rep, was, uh, was, was, rep, was, was, was using. Eli, it's kind of like, like these bands that don't like it when Trump plays their music on his stage. Yeah. It's like, stop doing that. We don't want to support you. I was the same. And every time like some MAGA person, usually I just block them. But they were like, oh, you know, Eli. I was like, I, I would take the time to write back and say, like, you have no fucking idea what this movie is about. Yeah. Like this this, 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 this movie is anti-MAGA. <laughs> um, but uh, again, people will, will take from a piece of art what they bring to it.
5: Yeah, Gary Oldman is one of Trump never... in that situation. <laughs> well, I <laughs> you know? mean Gary, Gary
1: Oldman really is Trump in that situation, right? Like the, the way that evangelicalism, I guess, as a force has been uh, you know pushed through. Like number I mean, number one people like like Ronald Reagan or whatever, but like more so Trump, like someone who is a depraved kind of sinner. That uh, is still like, well, you know, I could I could jump in front of these people and be like, God told me to do it, and they'll yeah, be like, I, I can I can use it to get the room, yeah, and just the just movie than what the, the, I want. Yeah.
4: The, the, yeah. the 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 movie originally went a little bit harder on that on on Carnegie. He was he was originally much more of a performer. We have concept art and scenes that I wrote of him kind of delivering like a sermon from from the balcony of the theater, and everyone's kind of hanging around, like um, hanging on his every word. We had a scene where he crucified someone. Like it was it was there was some really hard shit in the original. Scripts like and the whole name of like Carnegie came from Carnegie Hall. The idea that he's a, he was a performer. He right. was you know he was someone yeah. he, he he was someone who like didn't necessarily believe anything himself, but he was very good at making you believe what he wanted you to believe.
3: Yeah, and so we again, again we
4: yeah. and I, I, I <laughs> literally had this you know like, again a few years ago when Trump did that awful kind of walk across uh, from the White House and stood outside that church holding up this Bible, going like this is the most Carnegie ass shit I've ever seen in my life. It was it was disturbing to to see like just how much that that character you know is actually reflected I thought, in, in reality. Uh, Trump,
1: Trump's like embrace of flag waving, uh like uh when his literal embrace up and started actually feeling up the flag in front it's of him so like gross it was and, just, and, it was and I, I do not how anyone uh, yeah, anybody any crushing see right
6: through it. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, what one of my favorite things I think aged really well in this movie, um uh was the the one part where uh Carnegie goes. uh God is good. And then, uh, Denzel goes all the time, which is funny because if you've ever seen the God's not dead movies, and I hope that you haven't, uh, that that's actually one of the lines that, uh, two characters say back and forth all the time in those films. Uh, so, so I'm just like, uh, yeah, I I was, uh, I, I,
4: I, I do do kind of think that we got away with something again. I'm not religious. I don't believe in God in, in, again, I, there's a fictional God in this fictional film because it was what I, what, what was needed to tell the story. Um, but I, I was worried, and again, some people do think this, but like, you know, obviously as soon as as soon as you are pigeonholed as kind of like a quote unquote religious film, like that's Kevin it. Sorbo you're you're, 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 you're yeah. down in the fucking you know, uh, landfill with Kevin Sorbo and all the rest of it, and you don't want to <laughs> that's not how you want your film to be categorized. And so I thought it was kind of a I don't know, I I, I thought we kind of, and it's tribute to Alan and Albert and Denzel and all the people that actually executed the scripts that this is a movie that where in which God exists and faith is real and it's, it's a faith positive film, but it doesn't, it doesn't, hopefully doesn't come across as like, that's all that the film is about. It's just this preachy movie about how you should believe in God. And, you know, these, these cheaper, you know, the God's not dead type films that are out there that you see, that just going to fucking hammer you over the head really gracelessly with this, with this messaging. Um, You know, with Eli, which again, we tried to be more, You know, like the whole world is fucked up because of the Bible. Like when when Eli says, like, oh, you know, some people think they burn Bibles because this is what started the war. Yeah. Hell yeah. It's absolutely what started. Seems plausible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, and
5: also I think that the timing for when this movie came out is perfect. And I think if it came out in the, you know, in the Bush era right like it like that would be too much for people to take and if it, if it came out and then now just forget it like there's no there's no chance you could have anything that even uh, mentioned religion favorably without it just immediately people drawing sides about it and like just complete lack of nuance or like acknowledging the existence of allegory in general so right. but but i think this is like the last window to like do a movie like this and not have it be you know whatever pick up the flags and start waving them around for the specific thing yeah i'd be
4: interested to see how this movie if this movie came out today like in the post-maga age if it would be received uh any differently i think people probably would read a lot more kind of trumpian um yeah uh uh imagery into it obviously it's, the, this, it's some years pre-trump but um yeah maybe i mean maybe a post-trump audience would, would would view it in a in a slightly different way i mean maybe i don't the know actress- the character of. Uh,
1: <laughs> Carnegie even without being like a full showman like that that definitely feels very Trumpian to me and that and then he's the like he's undeniably the villain of this movie like there's no yeah you can't you can't watch this movie and be like hey you know that that Carnegie guy I don't know pretty uh, pretty all right like there's no reading that we we talked
5: about this during election extravaganza right Bob Roberts like you know like the the, the figure like the, the charismatic figure that like leads people along and things along those lines I mean like it's Trump walked into like 30 plus years of like political framing and uh, a confirmation bias.
4: Uh, yeah, and like I said, he was actually way worse in the original. We dialed him down a lot. I remember he had someone crucified. I remember he had someone stoned to death. Like He had all these kind of biblical um, methods of execution for people that displeased him. Um right. it was yeah, it was so do it I. Was pretty hardcore.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why Andy's been crucified a dozen times on the, on the, on the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> Usually doing well,
0: I'm flight. not
6: saying
5: much. Uh you know, I don't want to get stoned again. <laughs> exactly. gets, to get so sick of being stoned. Um
1: Andy, but I, I'm sure you have more more questions about like the the influences and stuff. I know that you had you've been uh excited to ask about that part of it.
6: Yeah, I, I mean uh I, I like I said, I I I um daredevil is one of my favorite uh, comics growing up um you know I, I can remember being four, my dad pulling out uh sons of the origins and cracking open the old bill Everett stan lee comic and then showing me some work by uh um uh gary uh co- wait, gene Colin. gene Colin. Uh, uh you know just just totally my world at the time but um uh how much uh, you know was was daredevil anything that you were thinking about when you were writing the script
4: no, I was, I mean, I was aware of, of Daredevil as a Marvel comic character that was blind, but I don't think I'd ever read a Daredevil comic or knew very much about him other than that. Um, I would say the main points of reference were Man, Man With No Name, uh, Zatoichi. Um, and to—and if you really want like a really weird random uh, reference point, because it was to some extent, it was a movie that I loved as a kid. Uh, there's a Ruka Hauer movie called Blind Fury, where he plays a blind swordsman. Um, oh, yeah. And it's an action comedy. It's it's very silly in tone, but he's blind and he has a samurai sword. Uh, in the original scripts, Eli had a samurai sword and it got changed to a machete uh, later on. I think it's because we felt like samurai swords have just been done one too many times. And it was too, and it was too direct a reference to, you know, his samurai uh, origins. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, like we never really got into that whole like, Oh, your senses are, are heightened when you know, you're blind or whatever Because My understanding is it's not true. Uh, and and B again, it's irrelevant anyway because when he goes into that mode, there's something else happening, you know, altogether. Um, yeah. Denzel did do a lot of research. You'll notice sometimes in the in the film, you'll hear him do this kind of kind of clicking thing, and it is something that that, that blind people sometimes do uh, to e- uh, echolocate themselves, like in a Just to in get a, the feel of the in room, a 3D right? space. Yeah, yeah. Um, he it's he he went and did a lot of his own. Um, research and we spent a lot of time figuring out like how he was gonna because originally the idea was in the script like he wears the sunglasses the whole way through well, that's very
1: maga of him doing his own research <laughs> yeah, he did he did he did, his own, he did his own
4: reading um and um yeah the originally the idea was that the uh the whole the whole business would like you know the water a hole in the sky and it being like super super like bright and then there would be no no uv protection uh, was cause I just wanted everyone to be wearing glasses and goggles all the way through. Like you can't go outside without eye protection. You have and to so, have it. It's a necessity. And so I just wanted to be able to get away to have sunglasses on him the whole way through, but I didn't really think it through. Like he's sometimes he sometimes he's inside, you know, sometimes he's indoors. Like now is it, is it telling that he's still wearing the sunglasses? Why not just take them off when you're inside? And, but what, it, what it ultimately came down to was Denzel just saying, like, I'm not going to wear sunglasses all the way through the movie. Like people, people are going to want to see me. The next, um, the next
1: person that compares the like this movie to the Trump movement and stuff, you have to send them the picture of Trump not wearing glasses, looking at the eclipse. When, uh, <laughs> that's
5: good. Yeah, yeah. Like,
1: uh, it'd be like, that's, not, that's that. not he's nothing to do with this character. This, yeah. Trump wouldn't even wear uh, wouldn't even wear glasses to look at an Amazing. eclipse. Like,
4: <laughs> so well, I mean, I, I, hopefully, hopefully that day never comes. I really don't want to have to defend this movie <laughs> yeah, yeah, against exactly. fucking Trump fans any more than I've had to in the past um but yeah so that that was the idea and then we turned so, then we had to come up with a solution for him to like not have the glasses on a lot of the time and yeah where where, De- where denzel when well, you landed, see a was, move
5: when, when he when he hears a sound or something when he hears someone speak like he looks like towards them and like yeah i mean
4: i mean we i mean we cheat a little bit because if he because if he because if he acted exactly like a blind person it would be obvious that he's blind yeah. and so i think the idea is that over like 30 years He's trained himself to trick you into thinking he's looking at games. Kind of systems. Yeah. Um, yeah. because again, like he doesn't want people to know he's blind because it's perceived as a weakness and it would just make you know, it more shit that he has to put up with. Um, but yeah, he's kind of trained himself to pretend to be able to see, uh, is the idea.
5: I think that uh I, I like that, you know, at the bar and whatnot, they're always like checking the hands. Like, oh, show me your hands, show me your hands. I like that as like sort of like I need to know.
4: <laughs> like yeah like, they the you for real? <laughs> who are all kind of hopped up on on human meat that are not are not welcome
5: yeah uh, i i like that as like a check because because at first you're like what why, why are they checking his hand like oh yeah right because not everybody's gonna be
0: like yeah
4: and and and, and, mo- and most people don't actually know that that is you know a symptom of, of a common symptom of cannibalism um yeah. so we, we you know we kind of had, had we had we had to spell it out for people
5: Right. And, and, but I like that. Uh, and again, remembering that, like, this came out like, you know, mad cow disease was like in the news like all the time. Like, I still can't
4: way. give blood um for the rest of my life because I'm a British person who lived in the UK during mad cow disease. Oh, so I'm forever right. banned yeah. from giving blood. Well, there
1: was a whole thing that, uh you know, some people say that it takes decades or something for. Well, that's it, the, the thing. They, nobody to.
4: really knows how long yeah. the gestation so is. Could, I could go fucking mad tomorrow, I guess. But, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's that's kind. Of, I always I, I, at some point I discovered that I'm not allowed to be a blood donor for that for that very reason.
5: Yeah, Frank from the chat, the uh, the mentions the the scene with the old couple.
4: Oh, George uh, and Martha. Which is
5: great because like it's so so because first of all, anytime you start off an interaction by falling into like a booby trap, you know you're in for it, right? But like they didn't really have a choice in the
0: matter.
4: That was um, that was an interesting like from a screenwriting perspective. That was an interesting part of the movie for me because even though i had the movie largely plotted out it's a very simple film there's not a lot of plot um uh it's not plot dense uh i remember getting about two thirds of george and martha weren't originally in the film and i remember getting about two thirds of the way through the film like right to the point where they actually show up thinking man this movie is fucking bleak like there's not a lot of humor it's really grim it's super violent and there's not much like the audience has not had a chance to like kind of laugh or relax or let go or or feel relieved in any way. I feel like there needs to be some kind of, pr- and, you know, and the ending is going to be really fucking intense. So like yeah. now or never, there needs to be some kind of pressure valve or just let, like, let's just let the audience have some actual fun at the movies for five minutes. And that's where George and Martha came from. And I remember, you know, just the idea, the idea, of this kind of like crazy old, you know, cannibal couple that wants to invite you in for a cup of tea. I just thought, I just thought they were funny um and uh i remember it's one of the few times that every now and again you have this in screenwriting where you just go oh <laughs> man it, it worked exactly the way that i wanted to yeah. and there's a there's a moment in that i remember specifically i, I have this sense of memory it's so happy because i remember both halves of it i remember the first half when i was sitting at my desk writing the scene when uh, George says, oh, you want guns? I'll show you some guns. And he opens up the, the couch. The couch, and like and a the couch is like an armory arm of, it, yeah. of, like, yeah. of like heavy mean- weapons underneath. <laughs> I, remember th- I, I remember thinking like, I don't know how to, because nobody knows anything. And you never know how to judge an audience reaction. But I remember thinking, if th- this thing goes in the movie, it's going to fucking kill. The audience is going to love oh, this. Yeah. <laughs> and then I remember being at the first screening. And when he lifted up that couch, everyone went, whoa. And I was like, yes. oh, it fucking it did exactly <laughs> what I wanted it to do. And I was just so happy very happy that, that that whole
1: scene that whole scene cracks me up like every time i watch that movie like the i mean the the first uh like i don't know i i get I, like my favorite line is the one where she's like i found some meat just as they right, realize right. that you know they've been cannibal yeah conan's name right there uh it's just such yeah. like a, like,
5: after yeah. they see the graves in the back oh it's great for the soil oh i'm sure it is we gotta get yeah and, and,
4: and again just just little things like you know that so e- even eli knows her hands are shaking because the teacup yeah. is rattling yeah, when she's holding it like again there's yeah. a clue there's a clue for everything
5: yeah and I, I i love and i love that that ultimately is where the stand stand up is at because
4: again <laughs> that the, house yeah
5: like that house is is great for that not the least of which is they're heavily armed you know uh which obviously yeah we just for, got to do a really team.
4: fun kind of butch and sundance alamo like carnegie's yeah. obviously rolls up heavily armed but these guys are fucking heavily armed as well. And we just got to do a really fun, you know, shoot. probably the biggest like overall action sequence in the, in the whole film, because the movie doesn't end in climactic action. So there's got to be something somewhere. And so that kind of three quarters of the way that little, that whole like George and Martha interlude. Like, I remember when the first audience, the, test the second parts,
5: floor where he like throws the book out, but it's like the bomb, the bomb. It's, yeah.
4: It's like, um, oh! <laughs> all of that, all of that stuff, all of that stuff. That was all in the script. That was really fun to do. Yeah. Um, it kills. I, I uh, literally, but. I remember <laughs> when the, when, when the first there's the one, there's the
1: one guy that does like the R2D2 noise, kind of. It was like, like, you know, the uh, the, the fucking w- the Wilhelm screw, yeah, yeah. yeah, that jumps up in there. I think
4: there jumped. is, a, there might be a Wilhelm in there somewhere. Um,
1: I, I think, I think when the first guy blows up from the
4: uh, when he throws the bomb out, there's like the one guy that. <laughs> The um I just remember when when the test cards came back from that first screening, like there's there's usually a, a a question that says, like, what was your favorite part of the movie? And every single card was George and Martha. So that, well, <laughs> they're, they're staying in the film.
5: <laughs> but it's like a spoonful of sugar, right? Like it like it helps the medicine go down. So like by having that in there, and again, like, like said, it was just
4: like it was a rest stop for the audience to kind of yeah. have some fun and kind of recoup for, like, you get, then you you get, and then, like, the rest of the movie from that point on is really good, because as Eli gets shot, he loses the book, all is lost. It's what in screenwriting we call the pinch. It's the late moment in the movie where everything seems like it's all fucking going wrong right before it all comes good at the end, and as it's another it's another thing that I remember being really, really kind of smug and pleased with myself about as a writer. Uh, and it's I think it's one of the reasons why the why the script did so well for me because I, I took so many meetings off the back of that script even before it got picked up to be made. you know, studio executives and producers going, oh man, that fucking ending got I did not see it coming. Um, like a twist ending when you can pull it off is like really again, talk about you know sticking the landing. a really good twist is like people fucking remember. And I just remember the, the the I remember there's this again watching the movie you like when I was watching it with an audience I'd seen the movie a hundred times at that point so I'm less watching the movie and more watching the audience watch the movie how they reacting sit yeah. all the way in the back and I can just look down on everyone and just see what they're reacting to and I remember after he gets shot and 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 Carnegie takes the book back to town and Eli just keeps walking. There's a you see people kind of like talking to it, they're like, What the fuck is going on? Like, this is like he doesn't have the book anymore. Carnegie's got it now. Why is he still going? And I remember thinking, like, just wait, you think he doesn't have the book, but he fucking does. You just can't see it. Mm-hmm. And when we finally got this is my other like happiest moment. Um, again, you can start to see people cotton on when they when they arrive in the rowboat at Alcatraz and he says, I have a King James Bible in my possession. Some people are starting to go like you can see like whispering at each other like he's fucking he's memorized it or whatever it might yeah. be, uh, but they don't have all of it. They don't have that. They they don't have that. Not only does that Eli has the book, but Carnegie, to all intents and purposes, doesn't have it because it's useless to him. He can't translate it's the braille. it. <laughs> Real, right? The only person that
5: knows it maybe like it has no reason it, to show him, right? Yeah,
4: so. and yeah, again in the script we eventually made a bigger deal of that. Like Claudia. You can see it in the movie. She clearly can read it, but she but she tells him yeah, she's she can't. Like, no. she doesn't yeah, well, she's like, really. oh, well, I forgot. I forgot how yeah, to so – Yeah, it's uh, been so long know. I don't remember. <laughs> um, but no, that, that final – this, this was my favorite, favorite ever moment in my entire uh, career was, again, the first time I saw it with an audience when they do the reveal of the book and they do the push-in and the braille bumps come yeah. into focus there is a fucking audible gasp all the way across the theater. I remember thinking I got him like it fucking works. <laughs> this like, awesome. whole movie doesn't work if the twist doesn't work, but it yeah. did. And it got people. And I was just, like, I remember feeling so like one of the most satisfying moments as a writer when you labor to set up like a really elaborate contraption like that, that is designed to kind of spring. It's trap at the final moment, like, and it, and it either works or it doesn't, but I feel like it did. And it was just really satisfying to see that with a live audience. It's one of those things where like, you'll never get to see that again. Like if the movie could come back to theaters, but like everyone knows the ending now, yeah. you know, like yeah. to see it with a fresh audience that genuinely didn't know what was going to happen next. That was brilliant
5: got me when i saw in the theater i was like oh yeah
1: there, there's the other line there's the other line that uh when you're just figuring it out and uh he's at the library and he's like oh it's in uh it's in you know it's pretty beat up but it'll do the job or whatever yeah and yeah yeah it's I pretty yeah and of course he's it. talking about like, like, himself yeah i mean
4: i mean i mean and, you know and and the whole title is a clue i mean he, he is he is the book you know eli is the book so um there's a there's a lot buried away in that movie i'm very uh i'm very proud of all the little kind of layers and you know little bits of cleverness to it it's it's you know it's it's the reason why you know we still talk about it you know it's only a middle in success but people who like the movie really like it and so it's got it's got a lot of very devoted fans and i never the get tired first of, time, of the first time first i it. saw it
1: was in 2010 and uh i was like i think i was like 14 or 15 and i was like a you know like a hard bitten atheist at that point and i was just like oh like the fight scenes are really awesome in this movie and denzel's awesome but but the god stuff and then rewatching it this time and, like, actually understanding it and, like, understanding that it's, uh, you know, it's about organized religion and how that could be used for evil. I was like, oh, shit. Like, this is like a...
4: I remember a, Alan telling me, I mean, Denzel and uh, the Hughes Bros and, and, and Denzel only came on because of that aspect. And Denzel talked about it in some of that clip. Like, he, I remember him saying to me, like, I can do any, like any movie, like, where I'm going around fucking up people with a sword. Like, who cares? Like, there has to be some...
5: Something, interesting something you know, something
4: interesting, and like you said, his yeah. father was a, a Pentecostal, Pentecostal minister. He's a man; he's a very uh, much a man of, of faith, and he believes. Uh, and so he related to the character, and for so he related to it in terms of like the strong personal faith. What was interesting was that Alan, I think, related to the opposite side of it. He I remember him telling me he said he said I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to do this movie. Until I got to the part with Carnegie's speech on like page 63 or whatever, when he says, yeah. you know, it's not a book, it's a weapon aimed at the hearts and minds of the weak and the desperate. He was like, oh my God, So I understand what this movie is now. And, that, and that's when he started to get really excited about it.
1: Yeah, and I don't know how you could be like a Christian and misunderstand this movie after hearing that line. Like you know what I mean? That's such like a it's it's like you know it spells it out to the point of of being like look the organized religion can be the most you know depraved and ultimately you know destructive force in you know in, in in human history like that's that's spelled out very nicely there and like to to have someone have watched maybe they went to the bathroom or something like you know they missed that scene they're like, I, again oh, people,
4: people 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 <laughs> take in what they want to take in and they and they leave yeah, the rest I just think so, it again, doesn't apply to their you, people. If you, know, you want if it. you want this movie if you're anti-religion or pro-religion if you want this movie to conform to your point of view you can just like selectively kind of cherry-pick the parts that you like and leave the other parts out but again Christian people like, like again the, the people that really really like the movie um are, who are Christians are either able to kind of accept that there is also this argument that you know religion is for suckers which is again very much you know the argument that Carnegie is making or you just ignore it um but you know again either way it's been it's been a very interesting yeah you because know, people talk again people like talking i think that the 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 most successful thing you can do with a movie is people talk about it whether they love or hate it like it's it's stirring conversation Like i think that's art good art does that uh, the least exciting version of this film would have been the version where people come out and kind of go yeah it's all right but they don't feel strongly about it one way right. or the other
0: yeah, but the, very yeah. few
4: people don't feel strongly about this movie one. They a lot of people really fucking hate it. But that's interesting as well. I like hearing from those people as well.
1: Yeah, and I mean that that makes it yeah, interesting. Cat fancy hated uh...
4: this movie. Who did?
5: Cat fancy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um no, but it makes no, well, it that's... interesting with the with the Denzel clip where he was talking about how, you know, uh it's an act like it could be any number of action movies and it's not interesting at that point. Like that the action yeah. movie with everything yeah. stripped out of it. Is that like movie that you know you watch it and you're like, all right, like Denzel has a sword, like <laughs> yeah, we get it, cool, right on. It's
4: it's but- it's funny going back to the to the cat thing. I remember when I was first, I was still a baby writer when I was running back in like 2006, 2007. I had not sold any movies or had anything produced. I was still very much like trying to break in, and this was the movie that got me in. Um, But I remember I'd read a bunch of screenwriting books, and I was like, very kind of got to do all the got to do all the things right. Um, and one of the things that screenwriting books will tell you is, um, uh, you know, you've got to catch the audience's attention, the reader's attention, like very quickly. Like if something interesting or shocking or surprising doesn't happen in the first few pages, you're going to, you're going to lose the reader. I thought, okay, what can we do that's the, that fits, you know, contextually with this world is like, okay. Murder a domesticated animal. People don't like yeah. that um yeah, that, that's I, definitely
5: I, an intention i'm i'm a, sure. I, so
4: i was a bit of a hypocrite, hypocrite i'm a dog lover so i didn't want to kill a dog i don't particularly care for cats so fuck it let's kill a cat um <laughs> and you know so he kills a cat and what's interesting is like these days i actually talk about that as an example of how you don't have to conform to traditional screenwriting dogma. there is a whole very famous screenwriting book called save the cat which is uh referenced uh by screenwriters and people that are into screenwriting oh, oh if you've got a If you want to be a screenwriter, you got to have Story by Sid Fields. You got to have Save the Cat. Um, I was like, dude, I fucking murdered a cat on page two of my script. And like, (laughs) we
5: got the jump. Yeah. And now
4: Denzel Washington's in that. I have the. the, You can do whatever the fuck you want as long as you've got a good reason for it.
5: Yeah. 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 It's, well, and I, and I, and then he's a, you know, shoes away the the cat at the bar, which incites, incites the fight as well is there is there a backstory specifically as to you know?
4: well there, I think the idea is the cat doesn't respond to him because I think he like he's got like some i think in, in I don't know how much they kept it but like he's in he skinned that cat yeah uh, he ate it and he and I think he, I think he had like one of the furs on him or something, and the cat like knew that he had killed a cat and gotcha. yeah like wasn't like, wasn't like, thrilled with him
1: smell it or something like that yeah like, uh, uh, yeah yeah. I like I like that he feeds the cat to the mouse though because it, it, it's a really good uh, symbolic moment of like this world is completely topsy turvy to you know yeah that was point,
4: yeah like, I, I mean yeah it's like yeah a cat eats a mouse Sorry, a yeah. mouse eats a cat like it's like <laughs> all this weird shit is happening and again like none of, none of the rules none of the rules are you know what you what you think they are and um, like I said the first, no, nothing very much there was, there was a, a whole fight that we had with the studio was they wanted to bring up that that tunnel fight to the very start of the film and i i thought it ruined it uh i we, we actually had a, a script like that at one point i went back and redid it all because i hated it uh but like the whole point was i just want i had a lot of very uncommercial inst- instincts for the film when i was writing it which which fortunately were backed up by denzel who is the guy that actually has the weight to make sure that these things stick Like if i say well the first 10 minutes of the movie should be very quiet nobody cares if denzel says that they listen he um, and uh
1: he and his son produced it right yeah poem. john
4: uh, john david who is now a um, a big movie star in his own right um and uh yeah it was it was it was it was it was interesting um and it's kind of trying different uncommercial things i i managed to get denzel and the hughes brothers on board with this idea of like this is an empty this is a quiet empty world and before anything happens in this movie i want people to understand the solitude that eli is living in so that when he actually makes a friend you understand how alien that is to him. Um, and yeah you know, there's a, a lot of little things like that in the movie that are in the script like when and, when and Solara... he tries
1: he tries so hard to like push her away throughout that and you can like i don't know like his single mindedness and uh, of purpose or whatever and his inability to shake her even as even it's it's clear that she's like has a growing affection for her even when he locks her in, in the court yeah, it, yeah it's,
4: it's, but... it's, you know, it's 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 for her own protection because again he's just he doesn't want anyone it's classic kind of i work alone i don't want anyone from, along for the ride but <laughs> I, I i actually think it's it's it's, it's there is little the things that you almost don't, I think some of the best moments in the movie are the things that are so understated. You almost don't notice. Like when he rescues, rescues her from the two like rapist cannibal, whatever dudes with, uh, and, and, uh, and she kind of like jumps on him and like throws her arms around him and hugs him. You notice that his arms are just kind of like limp down by his side. Cause he doesn't, he doesn't understand this kind of language anymore. Like the That's, language uh, of kind the- of affection and warmth. Like it's just, he's forgotten how to do it. It's completely that, foreign. That, um,
1: yeah. That that girl, with the shopping cart, is the same girl from the beginning, right? I, uh, yeah, when-
4: yeah, yeah. I mean, another another just little bit of screenwriting, screenwriting fuckery is like when Mila encounters her later on. She doesn't know who she is. She doesn't know it's a trap. But you immediately know because you've seen the yeah. trap before, yeah. right? And so it's a. Nut- anytime you can put the audience a little bit ahead of. The character on screen in terms of like impending danger like we see the guy lurking you know at the bottom of the stairs but our hero doesn't that's always you know good stuff and so there's a
1: there's a funny moment of almost like a female solidarity for one second when uh when she's like no you're supposed to be like a guy uh you know yeah it's trying, like yeah I, I, i'm it. not yeah, yeah. I'm,
4: I'm not you always get the impression <laughs> that that you know that the, the laura's character is like she's not really down for this she's kind of been like press ganged into it you know as, yeah. as the bait yeah um and she doesn't really want to be doing it at all but yeah but when like harmless some harmless young girl comes along she's like no no just keep going like she doesn't really want to get trapped
5: yeah it's it's a it, and it's all it's a brutal world too it it shows you know just like hey uh, uh, one of the reasons why like someone like carney can have such sway over people is they don't want to be out and about in it and like the enforcement of of that and the um you know, the, the approved violence, <laughs> like it's, it's like, look, either that, or like you get this on the outside. So it like behooves him to like, for it to be violent because he can provide the only order where there's only chaos and, and, uh, and death outside yeah and i think you know a lot of
4: a lot of the stuff is suggested you know the 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 couple on the road who gets hit by the motorcycle gang like that's all just suggested like nobody wants to see anybody get fucking raped or you know um but you know yeah not a snuff film and i and i don't (laughs) particularly enjoy writing the super super grim stuff but i there was i made a decision early on that this is not going to be like a glamorous hollywood you right. know, post-apocalyptic. It was going to be much. So, i uh, so the road had come out. I think the we, we we
5: specifically didn't cover the road for these reasons. I mean, I I, I I was <laughs> actually worri- I was
4: actually worried about the road at one point because we were already in production when I when I yeah. saw the film. The movie was being shot in 2009 when the road came out, and when I saw the road, I was like, oh fuck! Like this is. I mean, the road's even more grim. I mean, there's it's, no. It's,
5: it's hopeless.
4: There is. like I mean, the only. Uh, we at least have like cool martial arts fights and George and <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that. You know, the, the road is just like is just punishment right it's just punishing the audience all the way through and i think it's a beautifully made film and a beautifully written book but it wasn't i didn't want to go that far but i was i was worried that 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 we would be compared and in in the end we weren't because they're very very uh different films but i wanted to do something that was closer to that level of this is this is what it would actually be like like it would not be fucking cool no one has you yeah cool cool fucking haircuts like, you, you don't get to have mad. your,
5: like, yeah, your cool, like, war machine car that you're running around with your buddies, like, shooting. out have got, like, no, this would be, like, a brooding, nasty, nasty, short life full of, like, mutated, like, everyone is, like, looking to, to either have you be, like food or like some type of target for like theft if you're lucky uh you know the the most you can really hope for
1: is to have like a single town where you're kind of barely hanging on to power like it doesn't feel like carnegie is like you know brutally hanging on to power in a way that uh could be sustainable without that book so it's like the most you can kind of hope for is like uh the most you can hope for is like uh very regional like hyper local warlordism where you're like not even uh you know a full factor I yeah guess. and
4: i mean that's the thing about Car- Carnegie's small time you know like that little i think the idea is that he's stuck if he could just get the book he could expect he could he could get bigger he could branch out and like spread the word and 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 gather a larger flock and increase his power but like he's, he's he, like, much he like gets- the
1: actual andrew carnegie who you know the steel, <laughs> the steel manufacturer
4: he's a you know he's a he's a he's a small he's a small town ta- he's a small guy in a small town that is never going to amount to very much. But again, like that little town is, you know, that's his, that's his world.
5: Well, we talked about, we covered delicatessen this month as well. And we talked about, uh, which is a fantastic movie. Also dealing with cannibalism as well. And, uh, you know, the, the butcher there is, is there's a word for it, petty despot.
0: Mm-hmm. And
5: like, that's kind of what he is as well as, is, is that like, he's like, you know, Again, it may just be like this small area of influence, but he's like his
4: yeah. And there's, his there, there's, there's, his there's there's some on the nose stuff in there. Like the first time you see him, he's reading a book about Mussolini and yeah. West, this, <laughs> kind of, <laughs> this kind of stuff. Well, um, he needs
1: tips. He's not naturally good at this, so he needs you know. He's like, what Mussolini do? How do I, uh, you know?
5: Yeah. Let's keep the trains running. Anti, even though there are no trains.
1: Which <laughs> does this book say anything about no no trains? Uh, yeah, yeah. What do you do if there's no trains? <laughs>
5: Uh, Andy, did you have I know you were kind of waiting to jump in on something? Did you have did you have something or are you just looking anxious?
6: Uh, <laughs> honestly, it's it's uh, probably the drugs I'm on because my kid brought home a cold and uh I'm fighting it off. So oh, I thought you were got gonna say
1: it. your kids your kids brought <laughs> home some drugs. I was gonna I'm say my what are you doing? kids dealers? It's it's a yeah. you found you found like your kids fucking uh you know, like Molly stash or something, and you're like, no, I'm taking these, and then you're like eh.
5: Uh, I'm good. <laughs> oh, okay. Cool. I want I want make sure you get in on it. How, um, the engineer, uh, Tom Waits' character. How to, how was that? How close to that was what was on the page? Because I he's word, one of my Pretty much word characters.
4: for word. I don't think they. I, I, Denzel and Tom, I know, improvised a few things on the day. Um, but it's pretty much as almost exactly as, I mean, Tom's only got two scenes in the movie. Um, yeah. I'm still, I, I, one of my favorite things is, is still that Tom fucking waits is in that film. Like, it's so mad <laughs> to me because he's so great. I, yeah. I love him. He's one of my favorite because I'm a huge fan. I love, um, Coppola's Dracula and he oh, plays yes. Renfield Menfield. in that movie. Yes. And he's so, yes. thank you, Martha. And he's like yeah. eating the flies and so He's so fucking great. And it just like, he's this amazing musician and super talented and super fucking cool. And, you know, and, and you know, they created this kind of like steampunk version of him, you know, with the, with the little kind of glasses, the yeah. little wire rim glasses and stuff. And he has this little voice thing that he does. And he's like, like, whenever he, whenever he's on screen, I'm like, I was like fucking Tom Waits is in this film. That's mad. Um, and it was only, it wasn't meant to be for like a big actor. It was like, you know, engineers only a small part. Like I said, he's only in a couple of scenes. But like those two the, the, if you go back and watch it again, you can see that the two of them are just having so much fun, just like riffing off oh, each yeah. other. There like was it, a, it, so like it, what yeah. for example, like what wasn't in the script, there was a whole thing where like um the so this was originally he just goes straight to the wet wipes because he knows those are the currency that will be accepted. But in the in the kind of the improvised up the kind of plus up version you see in the movie, they they added this stuff where like he Denzel's like offering him all sorts of things and the engine, like Tom Waits keeps turning like, no, that's no good, that's no good. Like they have fun talking about you know like what what different things that they can trade or barter with um and you know so you could tell that they were just having fun on the day kind of playing around with it yeah
5: well and it's it's, it's so nice to like yeah it's, it's good because tom waits is an excellent that guy like he's like you know that sort of role where oh it's that guy cool even if you know yeah. who he is you're like oh yeah like he's awesome so people, good as so good really as renfield and
4: dracula and he's so good as the engineer um Yep, in this. I mean, what history like
5: man he's in! Like he's yeah. great in that. Yes. Like, that's I, like, yeah. I like, I like that he know.
4: gets to come back right at the end as well because obviously he's the guy that unlocks the book. Yeah, um, yeah, just just tons of fun. Like between that and Malcolm McDowell showing up at the end, it's like this. I, I just love these little these little cameos that we have, which shocked me the first time and shocked me on rewatch when I was
5: like, oh yeah, I forgot he was like Malcolm McDowell Ooh. was in this. And so the like, original. Really so sure I, I don't
4: think I've ever talked about this before, but like the, the Hughes brothers' big idea for that was this is so when we get to the end here, this this place. Is a museum of culture, right? And so mm-hmm. the
1: Congress. librarian
4: should be played by someone who is a cultural icon. And I remember yeah, at the go. time yeah. there was some discussion about David Bowie playing that part. There was some discussion about Bob Dylan playing that part. Um, but in the end, we uh we got the they the, uh, Al- Al- Alan and Albert loved Malcolm McDowell because of the clockwork orange.
1: Yeah, I feel like um, I feel like having uh like Bob Dylan or, like, uh, David Bowie play, it would have been too distracting. Like the, I mean, yeah, because you almost
4: kind of get, it's almost like yeah. Cameo Overload. You go, oh, shit!
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Whereas, mm-hmm. you
4: know, obviously Malcolm McDowell is someone who, again, because, like, particularly, obviously an incredible career, but particularly because of Clockwork Orange is, you know, is a, is a, is a part of, like, you know, a Clockwork Orange is is obviously a, a pop culture icon in and of itself, and so... Have you ever having, been 17? Yeah, then you know Clockwork Orange is, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, it's like... Right, so having... <laughs> Yeah, have, having him was, have, yeah. Having him there was, was a real trick. And he's really good in it as well. Like, again, we just wanted this, you wanted someone that felt like the kind of the tweed, you know, the, the tweedy jacketed professor. Um, I always love this idea was like kind of paramilitary intellectuals that there's this kind of tweedy intellectual professor, but he's surrounded by these fucking like tooled up, you know, kind of SWAT team type guys that are there to protect him. Um, I always thought that was a cool idea.
1: Well, I mean, there's been a long history of kind of, you know, uh, ex ex army guys turned, or like ex navy guys, kind of turned professor. You know what I mean? Like, there's a, it's just like a whole school of, uh, or a whole a whole school, I guess, of like uh, intellectual thought.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, but but you don't typically think of the two things together. Right? You think a military might and kind of intellectual. Yeah. Stuff as 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 often being kind of you think of like military
5: oh, intelligence is usually an oxymoron, <laughs> yeah. right? And so,
4: I I I always thought it was I always thought it was interesting the idea of like a kind of paramilitary intellectual organization that yeah the, their job was to protect these books because they understood the the kind of endemic importance and obviously there's a lot probably the probably the thing that gets pulled from like as a, as a piece of science fiction more than anything for this movie is Fahrenheit 451 because again yeah. the preservation of of knowledge um and you know you know, remember at the end like all well, the books are gone but there's a there's a society of people that kind of memorize and recite books uh, so that kind of gets all kind of remixed into the end of eli there's memorization of books there's preservation of you know literary culture there's a lot of bradbury uh influence in in the um in the movie as well.
5: Yeah. You and see also, the shelf and it's not the only book that's on there, right? Like there's lots of, lots of books.
4: lots of I mean, that was, the, and that was a really important thing is, especially for that final pushing where you can actually see what some of the books on the shelf are. I've been saying to them all along, like this should not be a temple. This should be a, a, a place of academia yeah. and it's yeah. not about preserving religious knowledge. It's about preserving all knowledge and whether you agree with it or not, and whether you're happy with its place in our history or not, the, the Bible is, is is a massively important part of our of our collective history but you know both for yeah. good and bad. and you cannot if you're rebuilding a society from scratch you cannot have a full accounting of what came before without certain kind of tot- context. things and that's and that's one of them but it was really yeah. important that there be like a quran and a talmud and yeah. other you know yep. that it wasn't just yep. about the preservation even in the like even in like their religious section, it's not just about preserving one faith, it's about preserving everything that they could find.
1: But you could also see it as almost like a proto-Orwellian like, you know, the the idea of this, these uh, means of control or something like that, being like religious texts and being ideological, and you can see that as kind of like, uh, this is the stage before something like 1984, where they're actually collecting the, the information to later weaponize, if it's somebody like uh, Carnegie or something like that, like
0: um, Somebody
5: with their intent Well, yeah. I like the idea that it's an Alcatraz, which is just physically, like if you're thinking about a post-apocalyptic scenario, difficult place to get to. I like to get to. Now. An,
4: yeah, I mean, I obviously I live in San Francisco. I liked the idea of ending the movie in San Francisco. I liked the idea yep. of the Golden Gate Bridge as again kind of like a recognizable landmark. You can see the ruined
5: Transamerica Building. Which you, can is fun. The,
4: you can see all that. You can see all the ruins in the background. I liked the idea that a movie about the you know about the preservation of like a a a christian artifact would would wind up in the most liberal city in america i thought that was (laughs) cool um and uh finally it's back (laughs) and, and, and and yeah alcatraz just made a lot of sense of like from a practical matter like if you want a defensible location where would you put it and the idea that um alcatraz which was once a place that kept a lot of bad shit in is now a place that keeps a lot of good, yes. and you don't want people breaking out. Is now a place that keeps a lot of good shit in, and the whole point of of, of its isolation as an island is that you don't want people. To, so it's it's essentially a fortress surrounded by a massive moat. Like it's very be very very hard to you know attack it. It's turned around
5: completely, and now but it's used for similar ish reasons.
4: Yeah, and again, you around. and you can yeah. see they take it seriously. Like again, when the boat shows up, like there's instantly like tower guards on them saying like don't yep. come any further or whatever. Like you know they 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 take the defense of that installation very seriously. I think
5: it's great. I think it's great great read And also, like, I may not live in the Bay Area anymore, but, you know, 20 years, like, it's it's always, it's like, anytime I see any Bay Area stuff in a movie, I'm like,
4: ah. It's funny, I just watched another, I just watched another post-apocalyptic movie the other day that I'd not seen before called Finch. I don't know if you've seen this movie with Tom Hanks. Oh, I, yes. that's, uh,
5: yes. I, I have been meaning to check it. that out.
4: I, I actually thought yeah. it was very good. I enjoyed it a lot. It's it a very sweet story. Um... And uh, I was just kind of struck by it because it also ends up on, it also ends on the Golden Gate Bridge. I was like, oh, (laughs) you know, you cannot, you you just can't do a good post-apocalyptic film these days without ending up on the Golden Gate Bridge. And it's pro-dog yeah and it's it's a yeah it's a very pro-dog movie they don't kill any dogs
1: i mean it made like uh something like walking dead feel fresh like uh the fact that they kind of went into atlanta and everything when they finally get into atlanta it's like really nondescript like uh you know the first the first few scenes in the in the premiere are really just like like oh they're finally into atlanta but like it could be anywhere i feel like landmarks are something that kind of get um highlighted a lot of like our apocalyptic yeah i know mean. I
4: mean, it's just it's, it's it is kind of tropey but you know people love doing like images of like famous landmarks being distressed and destroyed and you know that's why you see a lot of this uh again especially big post-apocalyptic movies again it, it, it very rarely is like some it's very rarely is like denver colorado getting destroyed because like what's there that's recognizable but san francisco la new york london paris all of these places that you go oh i know where that is like they all get destroyed
1: Yeah, well, in this it works really well because I mean, you know, where's more west than uh, you know, you finally hit the fucking coast in in San Francisco. Land's End!
5: It's Ocean's Beach. They call it Land's End. You know why? Because it's where the land ends. (laughs) (laughs) Right by the Sutro Bath Ruins. Uh uh Cool. Um, so I think we're going to go into the letterbox one-liners here, right? Um, so this is, uh, you know, Letterboxd is a place for film, place for film lovers to talk at, with, and to each other about the movies that they love, the movies that they uh, carry books over long distances for. Uh, and, of course, this is a bottom-up democracy. No Siskels, no Eberts. Everyone gets to have their say. No Lords, no Masters, no oversaturation. And this is all uh, best expressed in the classic one-liner format which we then collate for bringing up on this show so we can take a look together and uh, see what people have to say so these are the letterbox one-liners for book of eli this is literally me with the last remaining copy of monty python and the holy grail (laughs) 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 that's good
1: yeah yeah yeah, that would that would be what? way more annoying with somebody quoting Monty Python. The whole like they're, they're yeah. just quoting it like they're like, did you write that? And they're like, no, you know, well, Eric Idle did. <laughs> yeah. It could be like
5: that uh movie with the um that Danny Boyle movie where he does the Beatles songs. It could be like that. Oh, Monty Python. Yeah, oh, that thank you. I couldn't think of the name of it. <laughs> Me returning my library book, following apocalypse, and 30 years of late fees.
1: <laughs> Been there. Be a
5: lot of late fees, yeah. Hard <laughs> relatable. <laughs> yeah it has to like where, refer to water like how does that work <laughs> right exactly where oh where is the book of Solara? i actually wanted Where's
4: to it? do that as a comic book at one point and it never never quite came together but ah. i always thought like, if there was a continuation of the story it would be uh it would be Solara. that that's
5: that if, would the, if the movie
4: had made a billion dollars i'm sure you would have seen it <laughs> there'd <Exactly. but, yeah. laughs> be a
5: streaming series for it to be a whole thing yeah yeah but uh
1: yeah. turn off avatar and turn uh, this movie on instead Seconds. you know we Jeez. actually
4: came out the same weekend as the original avatar I remember that I remember I, talking to Alan Hughes about it about six months before the movie came out and they gave us our date He said January 15th Martin Luther King weekend three day weekend we're going to clean up there's no other big movies opening and I remember <laughs> and I remember saying to him that, that that's great but I'm a little bit worried about this avatar thing He yeah. said what's that I said it's this fucking James Cameron movie you've not seen it it looks insane yeah
5: James and he Cameron. said what? he said
4: when does that come out I said I think it comes out like late November. And he said, well, we come out in January. We don't have to worry about that. I'm like, oh, well, let's wait and see. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) as it turns out, as it turns out, I do. One one very minor brag that I do have is that we were actually the first movie to knock the biggest movie of all time off the top of the box Ah, office. On the Friday Friday that we came out on opening day, we were actually number one at the box office and Avatar was number two. Uh, But then Avatar came back and won the overall weekend and we were number two for the weekend.
5: That's right. That's that's. Uh, take that, Cameron.
4: <laughs> Never bet against yet. Cameron. <laughs> exactly.
5: <laughs> Any film with Tom Waits in it gets an extra star. There you go. Agreed. Hard agree. That's...
0: People.
1: People really like. But uh, only four off stars. Movies, he's...
4: <laughs> Shouldn't it be six stars? It should be it should six five, stars. Should be five. I mean, what <laughs> is four the highest number? I think it's I think it's five stars. Well, so it should be five, know. right? it should be four plus the extra bump for well, time. I, I, I yeah. think, but think so.
1: Yeah, the yeah. ratio it should be six. It should be uh, six stars. It Should be six that's stars.
5: Why, yeah. That's why this only has one like, and it's me. <laughs> it's not consistent no no way that dude memorized Leviticus one of the yeah, one of the, one
4: of the things I amuse myself with sometimes is thinking about how boring some of that would have been like beget oh, beget, yeah. beget 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 like chapters of yeah. just like just boring family trees but you know yeah. he would have read out all of it you know
1: yep. He's like, I know who who was married to who, who had kids with who. I know all of I this know. stuff.
4: I know. I Malcolm McDowell must have had like really bad fucking writer's cramp by the time that was. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I think the idea is that 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 process probably happened over the course of a number of weeks. It would have taken yeah. that long yeah. to do it all.
1: But he's he's sitting there and he's like, you know what? Maybe we don't need the Bible. <laughs>
5: yeah, I mean, exactly. <laughs> See, I have second thoughts after wrapping right, <laughs> up. Yeah. Marvel watched this, then came up with Daredevil.
4: Wow, is that what it ha- is? That what happened. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a
1: statement of fact. Big if true.
4: <laughs> Very big if true. Marvel's one person.
1: It's just
5: one. It's a guy named Marvel, actually. <laughs> People don't know that. Yeah, Sam Marvel. Sam Marvel. People talk about it more and more. Great movie about a book and a guy named UI. Can't argue with true. that
4: one. Gave it five stars. <laughs> five stars.
5: Thank you, Coco. And the like. Yeah, yeah, well, that's me. No, no, no. no, like no. There's a whole
1: like up to like there, there, too. Yeah.
5: Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't get between Mr. Washington and his literature.
1: Also, also <laughs> very
4: true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love the idea of
1: I love the idea of uh, Denzel getting like pushed and going like my literature like <laughs> <laughs> not his vibes. What's more difficult,
5: taking down a set of marauding bandits using only hand hand weapons, or memorize an entire copy of the King James Bible and being able to dictate it from memory?
4: Fortunately, you don't have to decide. That's right. Get get yourself a man that can do both. Exactly.
5: <laughs> <laughs> well done. those are letterbox one-liners for book of eli please follow the show on letterbox moving extravaganza that's your horse host the your horse your uh quiet shaky cannibal over there Force miller uh i am conan found some meat neutron all over that biz highbrow midbrow lowbrow everything in between j andrew justice for cat oil world is uh, on there watching all the weirdest stuff so you don't have to or maybe so you can i don't know maybe maybe he's 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 gonna be your filter for that who knows hey
6: uh, hey zatiochi versus predator i mean that's all i gotta say <laughs> <laughs>
5: is that a thing never mind I don't care. yes uh, yeah it's on youtube ends and with, with a lightsaber i believe you gary i don't believe you have a letterboxd account right that's that's no
4: like, i don't i didn't even i would know shout those reviews did. were a thing but i'm glad you picked out some good ones
5: It's it's the only social media site I like, frankly, (laughs) (laughs) because it because it's uh, it also allows you to track movies that you haven't seen, which is all
4: right. Cool.
1: Great for this episode. And after this episode and the Heather's one that we did, they should definitely fucking, you know, uh, sponsor us in some way. (laughs) How about Mad Max Fury Road? How
5: about Booksmart? Anyway, whatever. That's neither here nor there. We'll talk that later. Uh, (laughs) Justice for cattle oil. Please take both plugs.
6: All right, you're watching us on YouTube, so please do those YouTube things: like, comment, subscribe, hit the bell, and watch the video to the end. That helps us in the algorithm. And as a bonus, you get to hear a really great Conan Neutron song for the um, second the last on... time,
5: because uh, the next episode is the last one of the year and the season. So thank
6: yes, you. and you won't hear that song ever again.
5: <laughs> it's, it'll, be, it'll be it'll be it'll be removed from the uh, the Alcatraz library of uh, music. Yeah.
6: Yes. Um, but uh please uh follow us on Twitter. Uh we we're, we're on Twitter. We're on uh Instagram, Facebook and uh uh Mastodon.
5: <laughs> I don't think Mastodon's um, going to make it, man.
6: I, I don't know um, if, if I, uh, I would place
5: a button. I don't know. We'll see.
6: Yeah, Mastodon has like very early internet vibes and, and I think that's a problem. It does. But but uh uh yeah, but 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 um you know, who knows? Like like who knows what's going to shake out after uh Facebook and um Twitter collapses because uh, they're both not looking great. Uh, but uh, we do have a Patreon, and Patreon is a place where you can support us. And uh, uh, if you sign up with our Patreon, you can have access to things like, for instance, our after parties, which uh, last forever. They really do. No, they don't last <laughs> forever,
5: but you have access to them forever. Yeah, you have access to them forever. I'm not doing the song. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. sorry. <laughs> I'm not feeling it.
6: That's okay. Yeah, with, with my uh, my throat the way it is, I'm not, I don't particularly want to sing. Hey, uh yeah, hopped
5: up on those drugs. Your cat. Your cat, your kids got you. <laughs> 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 cat got you. Jesus my cat is my dealer. He's <laughs> <laughs> um,
6: like, yeah, my cat's always just like, hey, got some nip. You gotta I, try this nip.
1: Cat strength Xanax. The cat's like, look, uh, I mean, it might not but, do anything, but... you. Know. been a long week,
5: fellas. What can I say? <laughs> yeah uh, speaking of a long week you you did uh
6: your top 10 albums of this year
5: yeah it's actually top 20 top records of the year uh, okay. that episodes uh still yeah, it Patreon. That I remembered. <laughs> <laughs> it's still patron I only it's still <laughs> patron only for now uh going to the regular feed uh next week but yeah all the different places you normally find the podcast uh the alec MacKay episode from hammered holes and also ian's brother uh, episode is finally up in the regular feed as well. So that's a pre Christmas drop uh, for everybody that's <laughs> for Protonic Reversal. Yeah.
6: yeah and uh, of course, Neutron Friends of Bandcamp.com. Uh, you're probably not going to
5: get anything in time for Christmas unless you do a digital download. Or you live um, like down the street from me. I don't know. I mean, that's got to say. Like, <laughs> and even then, it's been snowing, man. It's, I had to dig it out this morning.
6: But but you know what, though, uh, there, there are people out there who have uh, birthdays in uh, January exactly. and uh, we should be thinking about those people or in February, like my oldest. Uh, so so, you know, <laughs> makes a great gift. Uh, yeah, it does. It really does. Um, uh, So so even if you miss uh, this, this current batch of holidays, there are future holidays coming up. Hey, what about Martin Luther King Day? What better way to celebrate Martin Luther King Day than a copy of um, Dangerous Nomenclature? Right.
1: And, uh, and a gift wrap <laughs> copy of the Book of Eli together as a put it bundle it exactly yeah
6: yeah so, so mm-hmm. um check those out on uh neutron friends bandcamp.com i don't know where he's getting all these copies
5: of book of eli but order now I'll figure it out yeah <laughs> i got a big bookshelf <laughs>
1: what well, you have an in you know the guy that uh that wrote it I, I,
5: exactly I, I, I gotta connect
0: <laughs> as your kids would say <laughs>
5: yeah or my cat <laughs> yeah or the cat, or the cat.
0: <laughs>
6: yeah um and also you got uh one last show uh coming up on december
5: 30th Chicago. Yeah, that's right. Yes. At, uh, um, Ghost Forest at Reggie's in Chicago. And then, yeah, we're going to be announcing 2023 dates sometime next month. But there's going to be a bunch of stuff coming up. But yeah, to to here in Chicago. Great. Come by. It'll be cold. If not, see you next year. Hey, warm inside. It'll be cold Money back. It is going to be cold. I've seen the weather forecast. Yes. That's more about my tour dates, please
1: i won <laughs> you're, you're one you're one toward it i'm I trying to cover from coffee the, uh, yeah yeah. It's just i've, one. I've it's had one it in fun. the uh in the intro forever
5: i know and it's just like it's like it's like new year's eve eve great mm-hmm. anyway andy continue please which
6: yeah um i just want to say even though christina's not here uh please buy her a coffee go to coffee co- kofi.com slash cosmopolitics get that girl coffee and uh
5: Indeed. gary I love
6: you have um Ah, uh, sorry. I'm trying to read while I'm talking. I shouldn't be doing this. Uh, you have uh, you have a podcast. Uh, you uh, you stream on Twitch.
4: Yeah, it's very person. easy. It's very easy to find me anywhere on social media. It's just my name, Gary uh, on Twitter, Twitch, and YouTube. And if I um, I'm going to plug anything in particular, since we are on a podcast, I will I will point you towards my own podcast, which act- which actually is also my most recent um, original uh, literary work, which is a thing called Gundog, you spelled G-U-N-D-O-G. It is an adaptation of my novel, another big uh, post-apocalyptic action thing, but this one has 600 ton robots in it. So a little different uh, to booking book, so aliens, it has robots, it has all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, the novel that I wrote comes out in July, uh, but I kind of did, did a little bit backwards. The audio adaptation, the audio book version is actually available now. And what I did was during the pandemic, because uh, I was looking for something to do, I uh, actually self-produced with some very talented uh, actor and musician and engineer friends uh, my own uh, nine-part audio adaptation of the book, which uh, we put up as a serialized uh, podcast and has been extremely successful. It's done very, very well awesome. uh, around the world. Um, and it's available now. You can go to Realm uh, realm.fm and find it, or you can just type Gundog into any... Of your um, podcast providers, it's spelled G U N D O G, gun dog, and any podcast provider will will have it, and you can stream all nine episodes right now.
5: Yeah, I got it. I got it Uh, it set to listen to. I'm I'm stoked for it. Uh, Someone wants to
1: know the name of the book again.
4: Uh, Let me just type it into your YouTube chat here, so that it won't be. It's G U N D O G. So kind of like a hunting dog, a gun dog, but that's the uh, name. That's the name of the kind of the cool. Max, you know how they have like A-10 Warthog and F-14, you know, Tomcat. Yes. This is the oh, M151 gun dog, which is this basically this big 60-foot-tall um walking tank built by the uh the US Navy, and it's very, very cool.
5: You know, he did the audiobook version of it for Eli, actually. He did it Eli specifically asked to
4: <laughs> yeah, that's right. So Eli he like can enjoy it did. without having to yeah, that's right. He really, he really <laughs> enjoys the audio on his I, iPod. I got I got that right at the end. I was that's like, yeah. why he had to go <laughs> into town because he was like the cut off battery died right before the last episode. Exactly. So he wanted to end. catch
5: the last episode. Yeah, gotta know you. how yeah, it ends. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah exactly. <laughs> I'll never know now. Now I gotta get into all these hijinks in this town. It's gonna be a whole mess. Um but uh but Gary, do you have any final thoughts or anything we didn't get into? Uh before we go.
4: Uh no, I think you know we 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 covered a lot of my you know obviously I've talked about this movie a lot over the last 12 years and I remain very proud of it. It's a movie that gave me a career. I wouldn't be I wouldn't have Star Wars. I wouldn't have any of the stuff that I've done without um Eli being the movie that kind of like uh, knocked the door down for me and I still um and very, very fond of it. I, I do rarely revisit it just because that's something that you know you you, t- you typically don't like. Ask any writer, director, actor. They typically don't go back, don't go back and watch their own stuff. It's kind of weird to revisit it. But every now and again, um uh it'll be on t- oh, yeah it, It's weird. Like I'll be scrolling around or I'll get a tweet so oh be Book of eli's on TV, dude. And I'll go like fights on TBS or whatever. Yeah. And it's really not yeah. the best way to watch it because they cut out all the best violence and the commercial breaks kind of <laughs> shitty. Um yeah. but I love the fact that people still discover it you know it's not that it's 12 years old it's not that old a movie it'll be 13 years old in uh, in a couple of weeks um and uh i you know it's i'm just extremely proud of it I, it's unlike anything else that i've ever done in that it was an original high budget science fiction spec with that really had no business being made because it's you know got religion and it's weird and super violent but not only did they make it they made they they pretty much made it almost exactly the way that i wrote it which is unheard of um in hollywood i remember the first time that i sat down and like in the edit bay in pasadena and watched the final cut of the film i cried because i was like fuck they made this movie
0: yeah and it's it's like
4: it's real like this thing (laughs) that i wrote on it this thing that i was like sitting in my bedroom in my pajamas writing it is now an 80 million dollar hollywood movie with oscar-winning actors in it like it's mad yeah, it's, so, it's pretty
1: funny that they like had a um, like a veteran screenwriter go back over the original like spec script or whatever and like change it, and then they went back to you and they're like, "Yeah, he couldn't do it just. Well, again, so they uh, they brought they brought <laughs> some
4: they brought someone else in to like pull a lot of the religion out, and when Denzel yeah. got that script, he was like, "Bring Gary back because we've lost a lot, we've lost mm-hmm. a, a lot of what is essential here, and we 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 restored a lot of what was lost in in some of those rewrites." Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, you definitely don't want a whitewash version of this movie. This movie, it says what it wants to say in a pretty concise way. And like-,
4: Look, you, like either, more- again, you either, again, like, either when you work on a movie, you work on a movie for like two, three years and it consumes your life for that long. You're getting up at five o'clock in the fucking morning. Um, you know, I'm doing like the 50th rewrite of a film. Like if you are going to spend and devote that much of your life and your creative energy to something, it better be worth it. It can't just be a piece of business. You know, you, you, you there's got to be a reason to get out of bed in the morning.
1: For sure, um, Conan, you got anything you want to?
5: Yeah, yeah, I, I'm really glad we fit this in for the moving night apocalypse month. I think it's very important for all the reasons mentioned earlier. Uh, you know, I think like just establishing like the how they trade, how they move forward, etc., cetera, et cetera, is important. This movie is all about the uh, the twist that lands. So many movies try to do twists like that and then and it fails and it, or like it's, it's like, ah, oh, right. Oh, right.
4: Again, and, and again, I think like that, not just that scripts, but that ending is, you know, there's, there's a, there's a, there's a, an informal list called the blacklist every year that comes out. That's compiled by uh, Hollywood executives and readers, people that read scripts for a living. And they, they put together their list of like, whatever their favorite scripts are of that year. Right. Like the right. one that left the best impression on them. And, and back in, I think 2007 when I, when the, when the script first went out, uh, I was on, I became I was I was, I was a blacklist writer, which is a very exclusive club of people that have written scripts that really got people's attention. And like I said, to this day, when I go sit like 12 years later, if I go sit um in a, some studio executive's office or whatever for a meeting, they'll bring up either rogue one because Star Wars, like, how can you not mention it? Um, or they'll talk about how much they loved Eli because it's the thing that I am like best known yeah. for is like that's like Rogue brought you plot, to the
5: party. Rogue yeah. one I was
4: like one of several writers, and I definitely made a big contribution to it. But like I can't, you know, it's that 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 there's a lot of people that had their hands in the telling of that story. And on you know, on Eli as a film overall, true, but like the writing is mine. And yeah. you know, I and it's one of those things where like if I hadn't taken the Rogue One job, if they did not give me the Rogue One job, they would have found someone else to write the movie. It would have been a slightly different film, but it still would have been a movie. Um, but Book of Eli doesn't exist unless I write it. You know, you know, no one else yeah. has that exact same idea. So it's it was very gratifying to see something. And I had this moment on the set all the time, like standing on the set and thinking, "Shit, all these people are only here because I wrote this fucking stupid idea." Now they're all, you know, here doing it.
5: Yeah, now you got to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's
4: it's it's a trip.
5: Uh, I think it's visually fantastic. Uh, you Beautiful know, soundtrack,
4: well. too. Didn't mention the so, soundtrack. Great soundtrack. Incredible and music.
5: Back in days of yore, uh, you know, I'd be brought on to talk about the music and then it's kind of hung around. And that's how I ended up with <laughs> show. But the, the soundtrack
1: uh, was uh, recorded at Abbey Road, right? Like, that's the story I think
4: they did some of it at Abbey Road it's not uncommon for things to be recorded at Abbey Road I mean it's famous for the Beatles but it yeah. is just a working studio and people record shit there all the yeah. time I've had a few um, friends that
5: done records there and they're not big bands yeah, yeah. but you know it
4: it is cool cuz it's historic like you know I, I had a friend uh, actually, my friend Austin, who wrote the, the score for Gundog, recorded something Abbey Road recently. And you go there, and yeah, there's the fucking piano that they wrote Let It Be on. You know, like, it's yeah. there. NBD. You oh yeah. like you, you're very, very aware of of, of, of of how historic that location is.
1: Let It Be is what they should have said to the second screenwriter on uh, on, on, on Book of well, Eli, you know?
4: Studios, studios <laughs> are going to do what they do. They throw writers at things because they believe that it will make it better. They don't understand yet the law of diminishing returns. Um, one day they might
5: <laughs> yeah so I think this this movie is great I am I am glad to include it I'm glad that again one of the reasons why we skip the road is because it's bleak and hopeless this is not a bleak and hopeless movie I think it's very important to show that kind of thing and to when you go over the pantheon of these different films it's not overly self referential in any kind it kind of builds its own universe very authoritatively and I think it works and I think it holds up and it's a great watch which is usually what people like in movies Things that are good, I mean, yeah. The
4: first, first, <laughs> first and foremost job is to entertain. I think the movie, you know, does Very that. Um, and you know, again, I think importantly to me, I think it has something to say as well. Whether you agree with it or not, I like that the movie had something yep. to say. And and uh, she
5: didn't get a lot of shout outs on here. Mila does a fantastic job, Mila
4: she's great, fantastic. and I love her. I bonded with Mila a lot because she, um, at the time that I was playing a hell of a lot of World of Warcraft, uh, she told me that she was also a huge World of Warcraft fan. And so we spent a lot of time uh, between setups just talking about our, our talent builds and oh you're a frost mage you know all this kind of stuff it was just really fun talking to her about that stuff. that's
1: beautiful that's that's awesome actually um, but uh, Andy you got or Conan are you done with your oh that's it yeah yeah it was yeah. it Andy you got final thoughts
6: yeah just just uh, I do want to bring up the fact that uh, uh, you know I mentioned it with, uh, last night how the uh, the 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 kind of graininess of the digital. Kind of cr- helped create atmo- an atmosphere, and I think also the digital in this movie, you know, has a similar type of like uh, uh atmosphere that it creates because of the, the sun, you know, the changed
5: uh um, p- p- point of order. You mean the movie last night, which is the last movie that we talked about for people mm-hmm. that like we weren't Correct. talking last yes, night, was, yeah, that's that's, that's, <laughs> a, that's <laughs> yeah. An important distinction. Yo, I was talking rug. last night, damn it. <laughs>
4: Yeah, I, I think, mean, I think that um, that digital look is really important to the identity of the film. I still wish they would do some kind of 4K disc release because it was shot natively in 4K. It would look gorgeous. Oh god, um, that'd be amazing. There yeah. is there is a funny story about it going back to when um, we were talking about how we were going to shoot it, and Albert like really, really wanted to shoot it on the Red One, which was very, very new at the time. Digital, you know, uh, cinema t- cinematography was very new at the time. It was as yet unproven. Eli was one of the first major studio releases to be shot entirely digitally, which you know. Again, it seems weird, right? Because we just that's the age we live in now. But just 12 years ago, it was still very considered very new. And one of the producers who will remain nameless really, really didn't want it to be shot digitally. They wanted it to be shot on film. And Albert was like, let, let me do this. Let me go out in, into a, a location with the red one with the typical 35 millimeter film camera that you want to do. And I'll shoot exactly the same scene with both cameras. ABA. And, we'll, yeah. and, we'll, and, we'll, and we'll ABA them. Um, and they sat the producer down uh, in front of the two monitors and one monitor said 35 millimeter. The other one said red one 4k and they ran both sequences a and B and the producer said, "What? Well, it's fucking obvious to me. Like the, the 35 millimeter looks better. Can't everyone see that? And Albert was like, I'm so glad you said that. And he switched the labels around. And said, <laughs> <laughs> you, actually just said, you actually just told me the digital version was better. So that's Fantastic. how you do it.
1: Confirmation. <laughs> I love that. Um, but yeah, Andy. Amazing.
6: Yeah, no, and I also love the the high contrast, the the use of shadows. Um, uh, you know, I, I love watching uh, great noirs because of that. Uh, you know, we've we've talked about this before on uh we did a whole month about of them, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, uh, but 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 very specifically about how how like uh, uh, I love watching movies with uh, that type of um, you know with high contrast with a lot of shadows on the faces. Um, uh, you know, I purposely set up my light here so I have the strong light here, and you know, a little bit of shadow, and then the, the softer light there. But but uh, so, so like I think about that kind of stuff all the time, whether I'm drawing or, or doing anything else. Uh, you know, I think about light, but but I love actually being able to see that applied so well, and and the, in the uh, how how uh, nothing ever gets lost too. Like nothing ever gets too dark. Everything is just just uh, you know, like you there's enough light to see. What's happening? Which is a a problem some filmmakers have. I, I know, like, uh, I'm just going to throw Game of Thrones under the uh, under the bus here because oh, yeah. they've done mm. that a bit with. Uh, I mean, and, stuff and it, and it was and it was
4: it was a great example, I think, of the look of, of, of Albert finding a way to have the look of the the movie kind of complement the the kind of the idea of the film. It says very very clearly in the in the script that the that the that the ozone's been largely burned away, and like the sun is coming through unfiltered and it's super bright all the time, and people have to wear sunglasses out. And like, it's just, it's just like the sun is just like fucking cooking everything all the time that I think Albert kind of probably felt like in order to kind of really drive that home, the only way to do it was with the the desaturate everything, pump up the contrast really, really high and just make it feel like when you're out in that world, everything feels like kind of bleached by the sun. And I think they did a great job with it.
1: For sure. Um, Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed that.
4: Yeah.
6: I was just going to say it was almost like a beautiful wash underneath the nice ink drawing
4: right <laughs> yeah well, like you said he, Albert's whole yeah. thing was like, he said he wanted to look like a like a graphic novel and I think you know they, they achieved that
1: absolutely all right Gary thanks so much for coming on uh, thanks for having me this was fun it's been a pleasure we, man. we will be doing. back on uh, on Tuesday with uh, Jerry Casal of uh, of Devo talking about the devolution take on don't look up um, you know until then I say you know yay though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil